Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney from Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to this week's Focus Israel Report. In this week's report, we're going to be explaining to you the details behind U.S. President Barack Obama fulfilling the prophetic kiss of Esau through his support of U.N. Security Council Resolution 2334, which condemns the existence of Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, making it international law that these these areas are illegally occupied Palestinian lands, which effectively calls for the dividing of the land of Israel in the city of Jerusalem, wherein, from the passage of this UN Security Council resolution, it now makes Jews living in these areas, which includes the Mount of Olives, the Western Wall, and the Old City of Jerusalem, being regarded as illegally occupied Palestinian lands, and thus a violation of international law. So what is is the prophetic kiss of Esau. It is a kiss of betrayal. Historically, it is associated when Jacob was instructed by the God of Israel to return to the land of Israel after living with Laban for 20 years. We find this in Genesis chapter 31 verses 1 and 2 and verse 41. When Jacob returned to the land of Israel, he encountered Esau. Being afraid that Esau wanted to kill him, Jacob tried to appease Esau. In Genesis chapter 32 verse Verses 3 and 6, it is written, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and donkeys, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find grace in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau and also he came to meet you and he did so with 400 men when Jacob saw that Esau had with him 400 men Jacob was afraid for his life and the life of his family in Genesis chapter 32 verse 7 it is written then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed it is from Jacob's encounter with Esau and Jacob being afraid for his life in the life of his family in which Jeremiah speaks about the events associated with the end of days using Using the prophetic term Jacob's trouble Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7 it is when Jacob meets with Esau and they embrace is when we learn about the kiss of Esau in Genesis 33 verse 4 it is written and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept you cannot see the significance of the kiss of Esau the kiss of betrayal by reading the verse in English however the kiss of Esau is seen in the Hebrew in a Torah scroll over the phrase and he kissed him there are special dots over the word in a Torah scroll it would look like this the dots are over the Hebrew word as explained by the rabbis the dots are meant to be a warning regarding Esau's embrace of Jacob it is prophetic the dots are meant to represent teeth marks the teeth marks represent a heart attitude of hate toward Jacob it represents insincerity and betrayal outwardly it looks like Esau was being friendly toward Jacob. However, in the heart of Esau, he hated Jacob and wanted to betray him and even eventually kill him. The kiss of betrayal is prophetic of what Esau's seed would do to Jacob in the time of the coming of the Messiah and in the end of days. There is this major spiritual principle that what happens to Israel happens to the Messiah, and what happens to the Messiah happens
happens to Israel. Next, we're going to explain another very important biblical principle to help us gain an even deeper insight into the prophetic kiss of Esau. It is based upon the principle that what happens to Israel happens to the Messiah, and what happens to the Messiah happens to Israel. After Yeshua made covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, this covenant was extended to Isaac and Jacob and then to Jacob's family. Because of a famine in the land of Canaan, Jacob and his family went to Egypt. Based upon the covenant promise that Yeshua made with Abraham, Jacob was redeemed from Egypt. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, it is written, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that your seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and will afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they will serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. In Egypt, Yeshua redeemed his firstborn son, Jacob. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, it is written, And you shall say unto Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So what happened to Jacob, Israel, is prophetic of what happens to Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua was born in Bethlehem, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. When Herod heard that the Messiah of Israel had been born, he was troubled. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, it is written, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. As a result, Herod wanted to kill the baby Yeshua, so that he would not be a threat to him in later life. However, an angel of the Lord instructed Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt until the death of Herod. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it is written, And when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and you will be there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. When Herod died, Mary and Joseph returned to the land of Israel. When they did, we are told it was in fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 15, it is written, And it was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 doesn't literally speak about the Messiah. It speaks about Jacob's family who went to Egypt and was redeemed from Egypt. In Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 it is written, When Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. However, Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 does apply to the Messiah, because in the volume of the book it is written of him. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 7. It is taught by the rabbis that the entire Torah is written about the Messiah. Therefore, what happens to Israel when Jacob was redeemed from Egypt happens to the Messiah. Furthermore, what happens to the Messiah happens to Israel in the end of days. After Yeshua had his last supper, which was a Passover meal, he was betrayed by Judas with a kiss. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 49, it is written, And while he spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and stays, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Yeshua and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. The betrayal of Yeshua by Judas was by a kiss. This is the prophetic prophetic kiss of Esau. After the prophetic kiss of Esau, Yeshua was put on trial and falsely accused. From being falsely accused, he was sentenced to death. So, what happened to Yeshua is prophetic of what will happen to Israel in the end of days.
Currently, Israel is being falsely accused by the Palestinians, the United States, and Europe over the issue of Jews who they claim are living in the West Bank and East Jerusalem illegally. The world regards the West Bank and East Jerusalem as occupied Palestinian territory. For many years, the United States protected Israel from one-sided resolutions at the UN Security Council. They would do so by using their veto when any nation wanted to impose a solution regarding the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. This included when any nation wanted to condemn Jewish building in the West Bank and East Jerusalem by declaring them to be illegal. In February 2011, the U.S. vetoed such a resolution condemning the Jewish settlements. In December 2014, the United States used its influence to prevent recognition of a Palestinian state at the UN Security Council. However, on December the 23rd, the United States failed to prevent a UN Security Council resolution which specified that Jewish homes in the West West Bank and East Jerusalem were illegal. In doing so, these lands were labeled as occupied Palestinian territory. In doing so, the United States reversed its policy to veto any UN Security Council resolution which made a final judgment over disputed issues intended to be resolved through direct negotiations. As a result, the United States failed to protect Israel. Therefore, Israel felt betrayed by the United States. This betrayal is the fulfillment of the prophetic kiss of Esau. As a result, Israel is seen by the international community as being in violation of international law because of the existence of Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Israel is being put on trial on the world stage over the issue. Israel is being falsely accused by the nations and will continue to be falsely accused. Judging Israel to be guilty, the nations will want to punish Israel in a harsher way in the future. In effect, the modern-day state of Israel is being crucified by the nations. By being falsely accuse the punishments and isolation from the nations upon Israel will create the greatest crisis in its modern history. It will bring about the events of the Great Tribulation. In the natural, the crisis will begin to look like the end of the modern-day Jewish state. However, just when it looks hopeless, the Messiah of Israel, even Yeshua HaMashiach, will intervene and judge the nations. While judging the nations, Yeshua will gather the twelve tribes of Israel and end their exile. In doing so, Yeshua will unite Joseph and Judah upon the mountains of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 15 through 28. With the coming of the Messiah and the end of the exile of the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel will experience the final redemption. In doing so, Israel will be quote-unquote resurrected and quote-unquote raised to glory, just like Yeshua. Glorified Israel will reign with Yeshua after he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4. Afterwards, Yeshua will set up his kingdom and teach his Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 and 3. So how did this prophetic kiss of Esau happen? So what were the recent events which led to Obama's betrayal of Israel and the fulfillment of the prophetic kiss of Esau? The Israeli government has publicly accused the Obama administration of colluding with its drafters of UN Security Council Resolution 2334 which condemned Jewish homes being built in the West Bank and East Jerusalem to ensure that the resolution had just the right language so that the United States would not veto the measure. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, it is written, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they made a covenant with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. So it was not only Judas that was involved in betraying Yeshua, but there were others 
with him. Matthew chapter 26 verse 4. And they consulted that they may take Yeshua subtly and kill him. So that which happened to Yeshua then happens to Israel. The United States betrayed Israel just like Judas. However, they were others involved that made this possible besides the United States. So what are the details of the story? U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry visited New Zealand on November the 13th, shortly after the U.S. presidential election, and took part in deep conversations over how its government, which holds a non-permanent seat on the U.N. Security Council until the end of December, could engage in a U.N.-related initiative on the Middle East peace process. After the talks, New Zealand Foreign Minister Murray McCauley even raised the possibility of the United States or New Zealand sponsoring together a U.N. Security Council resolution. McCauley said, It is a conversation we are engaged in deeply and we spent some time talking to Secretary Kerry about where the U.S. might go on this. It is something that is still in play. I think there are some very important decisions that the Obama administration is going to have to make in its lame duck period, that is, before Obama leaves office on January the 20th, on this issue. After Kerry meeting with New Zealand, then the United States met with the Palestinians in Washington, D.C. on December the 12th. The details are as follows. Meanwhile, a high-level Palestinian delegation led by senior Palestinian negotiator Sab Arakat met with U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry at the U.S. State Department on December the 12th. The delegation included the future Palestinian ambassador to the United States as well as a number of high-level officials from Abbas's Fatah party and from the Palestinian Liberation Organization. The main item on the agenda was a U.N. Security Council resolution initially written by the Palestinians. The Palestinian Authority was interested in coming to an understanding with the outgoing administration of U.S. President Barack Obama that would avoid an American veto of a U.N. Security Council resolution on Israeli settlements. Before the meeting, a senior official in President Abbas's office said that the Palestinian Authority sensed that the Obama administration will not accept the existing Palestinian draft resolution as portions of it will have to be amended in an effort to avoid an American veto at the Security Council. He said, the key question will be the position of the outgoing U.S. administration. We are hoping that Obama will take one real decision on behalf of the Palestinians before he leaves the White House, he said. It was believed that if the Palestinians were prepared, in contrast to the past, to be pragmatic and to soften some sections of the draft, then there was a real chance that Obama would refrain from casting a veto of the resolution, the diplomat said. If the Palestinians act wisely and rationally, then they have a chance, he said. A senior Western diplomat said that that the most contentious clause in the UN Security Council resolution calls for sanctions against Israel, provides a timetable for negotiations, and mentions the 1967 borders, but makes no mention of the potential for land swaps between Israel and Palestine. After the meeting, a joint statement by the U.S.-Palestinian Political Dialogue said that PLO Secretary General Sab Arakat and U.S. Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs Stuart Jones 
met to discuss a number of issues related to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict in the broader Middle East. The delegations reportedly discussed the PLO's long-standing commitment to nonviolence and the two-state solution, which they described as the only way to achieve an enduring peace that meets Israeli and Palestinian security needs in Palestinian aspirations for statehood and sovereignty, ending the occupation that began in 1967 and resolving all permanent status issues. As a part of events that went on in the background, perhaps you might say the conspiracy plan, New Zealand participated in a UN Security Council briefing regarding the Israeli-Palestinian peace process on December the 16th. New Zealand had for several months been considering a draft resolution focused on preserving the two-state solution. In early December, New Zealand shared a new UN Security Council draft text with council members which was discussed at an informal meeting on December the 13th. The draft reiterates the vision of a region where Israel and Palestine live in peace with secure and recognized borders and declares that the two-state solution is the only way to achieve an enduring peace. It calls upon both parties to establish a firm timetable for the early return to negotiations and to refrain from setting preconditions for the resumption of negotiations. It further calls on the parties to take action related to the three major impediments to a lasting peace and two-state solution outlined by the July 2016 report of the Middle East Quartet, and that is settlements, violence and incitement, and the Gaza Strip. New Zealand has been consulting with the parties as well as the United States on the draft and hope to allow the Palestinians to pursue their own draft resolution on settlements prior to presenting their initiative. However, with New Zealand and several other interested members leaving the council on December the 31st, New Zealand decided it could no longer postpone a discussion on action on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. These members also view the period before the inauguration of the new U.S. president on January the 20th as a rare window during which the outgoing president, Barack Obama, may allow the adoption of a resolution on this highly contentious issue. The draft, also seen by the Jerusalem Post, declares that the two-state solution is the only way to achieve an enduring peace that meets Israeli security security needs and Palestinian aspirations for statehood and sovereignty, ending the occupation that began in 1967 and resolving all permanent status issues. The proposed UN Security Council draft by New Zealand calls for a firm timetable for an early return to negotiations and for refraining from setting preconditions for the resumption of talks. Likewise, it calls for a cessation of Israeli settlement activity as well as active and sustained Palestinian leadership to deter incitement to violence against Israeli civilians. Regarding terrorism, the New Zealand draft calls for an end to all acts of terrorism being perpetuated against both Israelis and Palestinian civilians. It also calls for an end to hostile actions and rocket fire from the Gaza Strip. Likewise, it calls for both parties to refrain from questioning the integrity or commitment of the other party or its leaders. Next, in addition to Judas, others being involved in betrayal 
betraying Yeshua, they sought for false witnesses against him. In Matthew chapter 26 verse 60 it is written, Though many false witnesses came, yet found they none, and at last came two false witnesses. So now what happened to the Messiah is going to happen to Israel. The first witness or agent of the UN Security Council resolution was Egypt who submitted a UN Security Council resolution condemning Jewish settlements on behalf of the Palestinians on December the 22nd. The original Palestinian draft of a potential UN Security Council resolution condemning Jewish settlements was amended. The Egyptians coordinated on the language of the submitted resolution with the Palestinian Authority. The amended version was presented by Egypt on behalf of the Palestinians on December the 22nd. After Egypt put their UN Security Council resolution on the table for a proposed vote, prior to that vote, due to pressure from Israel and U.S. President-elect Donald Trump, they withdrew their resolution. The details are as follows. Just hours before the scheduled vote, the Egyptian government pulled its own draft due to pressure from the Israeli government. After Israel was not able to get assurances from U.S. President Barack Obama that he would veto the resolution, Israel officials approached U.S. President-elect Donald Trump to assist them in thwarting the anti-settlement U.N. Security Council resolution. Israel, quote-unquote, implored the Obama administration not to go ahead and allow the Egyptian-drafted anti-settlement resolution pass by not using its veto, and told them that if they did, Israel would have no choice but to reach out to President-elect Trump, the source said. In response, President-elect Donald Trump called publicly and privately for a vote of the UN Security Council resolution. An Israeli official said, we did reach out to the President-elect and are deeply appreciative that he weighed in, which was not a simple thing to do. Trump wrote on his Facebook account, as the United States has long maintained, peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians will only come through direct negotiations between the parties and not through the imposition of terms by the United Nations. This puts Israel in a very poor negotiating position and is extremely unfair to all Israelis. Trump also spoke to Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi about the UN draft resolution in Egyptian official said. During the call, they discussed regional affairs and developments in the Middle East, and in that context, the draft resolution in front of the Security Council on Israeli Settlements, the official said. The presidents agreed on the importance of affording the new U.S. administration the full chance to deal with all dimensions of the Palestinian case with a view of achieving a full and final settlement, he added. An Egyptian diplomatic source said that Egypt may have withdrawn the resolution in order to maintain positive ties with the coming Trump administration. We, the Arab states, are all looking for a way to ensure constructive relations with this new administration. It's not clear if this resolution helps that or if it might even hinder, the source said. Israel ambassador to the UN Danny Danone said that his government was deploying diplomatic efforts on all fronts to ensure that this disgraceful resolution will not pass in the Security Council. Therefore, given the Israeli pressure, Egypt requested a delay in the vote to permit them to conduct an additional meeting of the Arab League's foreign ministers to work on the resolution's wording. What historically happened to Yeshua is that Yeshua was betrayed by Judas when Judas gave a sign of the betrayal. In Matthew chapter 26 verse 48 it is written, Now he that betrayed him, Judas, gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he. Hold him fast. This is 
prophetic of what happened to Israel because the United States gave a sign to the other Security Council members after the Egyptian resolution was withdrawn that the United States would abstain from any potential vote. The United States had intended to allow the UN Security Council to approve a resolution demanding an end to Israeli settlement building, two Western officials said. The two Western officials said President Barack Obama had intended to abstain from the vote. Israeli officials said that Obama wanted to abstain from the vote because of his frustration over the stalled peace process. NBC News in the USA and Reuters also reported that Obama planned to abstain from the vote. After Egypt initially came forward with its resolution condemning Israeli settlements, given that they withdrew the resolution, next came other witnesses to present the resolution. They were four other members of the UN Security Council. New Zealand, Venezuela, Malaysia, and Senegal asked Egypt to clarify by midnight of December the 22nd whether it planned to call a vote on the anti-Israel settlement resolution. The four states said, in the event that Egypt decides that it cannot proceed to call for a vote on December the 23rd or does not provide a response by the deadline, those delegations reserve the right to table the draft and proceed to put it to vote as soon as possible. They said, the proposal for other delegations to take the lead would also help Egypt by relieving it of the burden of carrying this draft alone. The four states met on the morning of December the 23rd to decide how to proceed, diplomats said. At this point, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu lobbied Obama to veto the anti-Israel settlement UN Security Council resolution. Just before the original scheduled vote on the Egyptian anti-Israel settlement resolution on December the 22nd, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called on the United States to veto the resolution. In a video statement, the Israel Prime Minister implored the Obama administration to stand up in the UN and veto anti-Israel resolutions, designated that position one of the great pillars of the U.S.-Israel alliance. I hope that the U.S. won't abandon this policy, he said. I hope it will abide by the principles set forth by President Obama himself in his speech in the U.N. in 2011, where he said that peace will come not through U.N. resolutions, but only through direct negotiations between the parties. And that's why this proposed resolution is bad. It's bad for Israel, it's bad for the United States, and it's bad for peace. Next, what happened to Yeshua after he was betrayed by Judas with a kiss and there were other conspirators with him and after two witnesses came forth to testify against Yeshua then Pilate sat on his judgment seat and made a decision about the matter in John chapter 19 verse 13 it is written when Pilate therefore heard that saying he brought Yeshua forth and sat him down on the judgment seat historically Pilate represents the United States And when Pilate or the United States heard that the anti-Israel settlement vote was being put on the table by the other witnesses, New Zealand, Venezuela, Malaysia, and Senegal, Pilate, who foreshadows the United States, made a decision about the matter. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 22, Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then? Pilate prophetically represents the United States, who then, given that the other 14 United Nations Security Council members voted for the UN resolution condemning Israeli settlements 
had a decision of their own regarding what they would do about the resolution. Just as Pilate made his decision, the United States made theirs. The anti-Israel settlement bill was voted upon on December the 23rd and passed 14 to 0 with the United States abstaining. The UN Security Council voted on December the 23rd to adopt a resolution condemning Israeli settlement activity as illegal and demanded that Israel immediately and completely cease all settlement activities in the occupied Palestinian territory including East Jerusalem. 14 out of the 15 voting members of the council voted in favor of the resolution while none voted against. The United States chose to abstain instead of casting its veto while simultaneously declaring Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem as illegal. The passage of the resolution was met with applause by the UN Security Council members. Next I'm going to share with you highlights of UN Security Council Resolution 2334 and it is as follows. The highlights of UN Security Council Resolution 2334 is that it condemned all measures aimed at altering the demographic composition character and status of the Palestinian territory occupied since 1967, including East Jerusalem. It reiterated its vision of a region where two democratic states, Israel and Palestine, live side by side in peace within secure and recognized borders. In point number one, it reaffirms that the establishment by Israel of settlements in the Palestinian territory occupied since 1967, including East Jerusalem, has no legal validity and constitutes a flagrant violation under international law. In point number three, it underlines that it will not recognize any changes to the June 4, 1967 borders, including with regard to Jerusalem, other than those agreed upon by the parties through negotiations. In points one and three, this effectively called for the dividing of the land of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. This may well could be the fulfillment of Joel chapter 3 verse 2 which says the nations will divide the land of Israel in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 2 which says that the nations will divide Jerusalem. In point number 5 it calls upon all states bearing in mind paragraph 1 of this resolution to distinguish in their relevant dealings between the territory of the state of Israel and the territories occupied since 1967. Point number 5 effectively makes it possible to permit boycotts of the West Bank and East Jerusalem of anything Jewish that is associated with those areas. Point number eight calls upon all parties to continue in the interest of the promotion of peace and security to exert collective efforts to launch credible negotiations on all final status issues in the Middle East peace process and within the time frame specified by the Quartet in its statement of September the 21st, 2010. The Quartet statement on September the 21st, 2010 said the following. The Quartet expresses its strong support for the resumption of Israeli-Palestinian negotiations which can resolve all final status issues within one year. So point number eight calls for a final status agreement to be agreed upon in one year. Could this be the fulfillment of the 70 weeks of Daniel where one may interpret Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 the 70 weeks as referring to 70 years of the last generation. And just as Messiah was cut off after 69 weeks, Israel is being cut off 69 years from 1948, counting the Feast of Shavuot. Given the 
that the word weeks in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, which in Hebrew is Shavaim, is in the male plural form. The female plural would be Shavuot, which is the name for the Feast of Weeks. So just as Yeshua was cut off after 69 weeks, this UN resolution is effectively cutting off Israel after 69 Shavuot's counting from when Israel became a nation in 1948. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 specifies that a covenant will be confirmed for one week. In Hebrew, the confirming of the covenant is the Hebrew word gabor, which means to strengthen something that already exists. This UN resolution is strengthening the vote by the United Nations General Assembly on November the 29th, 1947. And in strengthening that UN General Assembly vote, which called for an Arab state and a Jewish state making Jerusalem an international city, it calls for final status negotiations to be completed in one year. Could this be the fulfillment of the covenant that is made strong for one year? Next, I'm going to share with you 12 reasons why the U.S. should have vetoed UN Resolution 2334. Number one, UN Resolution 2334 encourages Palestinian rejectionism and undermines negotiations. The resolution dangerously lacks giving any incentive to the Palestinians to come to the negotiating table. This will feed into the Palestinian strategy of preferring to deal with international institutions over bilateral talks with Israel. Contrary to its stated objective, therefore, the resolution will only push negotiations farther away. In this regard, we recall that in 2011, U.S. Ambassador to the United States Susan Rice vetoed a similar resolution on the grounds that it risks hardening the position of both sides and could encourage the parties to stay out of negotiations. She said it was unwise for this council to attempt to resolve the core issues that divide Israelis and Palestinians. Number two, the resolution fuels Palestinian targeting of Israelis with boycott, divestment, and sanctions and international prosecutions. The resolution's appeal to all states to take action in paragraph five is a clear call to escalate campaigns seeking to boycott Israeli products, companies, and citizens. Certainly, the United Nations Human Rights Council will feel empowered to continue preparing its blacklist of Israeli companies that do business over the green line that is due in March. Meanwhile, the resolution's mandated reports by the Secretary General every three months will ensure constant activity. Number three, contrary to U.S. claims, this resolution fails to condemn Palestinian incitement. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Samantha Power said after the vote that the U.S. would not have let this resolution pass had it not also addressed counterproductive actions by the Palestinians such as terrorism and incitement to violence. Yet this is exactly what happened. The resolution that was adopted mentions terrorism and incitement only in the abstract. Nowhere are these crimes attributed to the Palestinians. Whereas Israel is named and shamed throughout the text, the Palestinians get a free pass. Number four, the resolution blames Israel as a major obstacle to peace, yet Palestinians evade responsibility. Despite the fact that the Palestinians refuse to negotiate without preconditions, refuse to negotiate even during Israel's 2009 and 2010 settlement freeze, rejected the Kerry framework principles and are inciting the terrorism at the highest levels, they are spared in the resolution from any blame. Instead, the resolution accuses Israel alone of creating, with the settlements, a major obstacle to a just, lasting, and comprehensive peace. Number five, it fails to distinguish individual Israeli settlements, thus 
losing the support of the Israeli mainstream. By ignoring the 2000 Clinton parameters, the Obama administration unwisely managed to alienate itself from the vast majority of the Israeli population and political parties who regard the Jewish quarter, the Western Wall, and Jewish neighborhoods in eastern Jerusalem, such as Remote and Gilo, as an integral part of Israel, all of which are defined in the resolution as occupied Palestinian territory. And likewise, the Israeli Jewish communities in the large settlement blocks, such as Gush Etzion, have for years been considered part of the Israeli consensus. The U.S. failure to distinguish between these and isolated remote settlements is what doomed the U.N. resolution to complete rejection by Israeli society as a whole. Number six, it is offensive to Israel to call Jerusalem's Jewish holy sites occupied Palestinian territory. The resolution is offensive to Jews worldwide by absurdly defining the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem in the holiest Jewish sites of the Temple Mount and Western Wall as occupied Palestinian territory. Number seven, this resolution rewrites UN Resolution 242 passed in 1967. By injecting new language enshrining the June 4th, 1967 lines, the resolution seeks to relitigate and rewrite UN Security Council Resolution 242 of November 1967, which is the cornerstone of Arab-Israeli peace negotiations over the past half century. That was endorsed by the Palestinians in the Oslo Accords, which calls for the right of every state to live in peace within secure and recognized boundaries, and for Israel to withdraw from territories occupied, not the territories occupied. Arthur Goldberg, former Supreme Court Justice and U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations when UN Resolution 242 was enacted, made clear that the text's notable omission and language on withdrawal are the words, the all and the June 5th, 1967 lines. The choice of language was clear, he explained. There is lacking a declaration requiring Israel to withdraw from the or all of the territories occupied in it on and after June the 5th, 1967. Instead, the resolution stipulates withdrawal from occupied territories without defining the extent of the withdrawal, and it can be inferred from the incorporation of the words secure and recognized boundaries that the territorial adjustments to be made by the parties in their peace settlements could encompass less than a complete withdrawal of Israeli forces from occupied territories. Number eight, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Samantha Power's explanation of the U.S. abstention misstates long-standing U.S. policy. In explaining the U.S. vote, U.N. Ambassador to the United Nations Samantha Power began by making reference to a 1982 quote from President Ronald Reagan opposing settlements, saying, our vote today is fully in line with the bipartisan history of how American presidents have approached the issue. In fact, what Samantha Power had to say was selective, excluding material statements by U.S. leaders rejecting the notion of a return to the 1949 armistice lines, what Israeli statesman Abba Eben once called Auschwitz borders. For example, Power failed to quote the rest of President Reagan's statement in which he said, I have personally followed and supported Israel's heroic struggle for survival ever since the founding of the State of Israel 34 years ago. In the pre-1967 borders, Israel was barely 10 miles wide at its narrowest point. The bulk of Israel's population lived within artillery range of hostile Arab armies. I am not about to ask Israel to live that way again. Nor did Power quote President Lyndon Johnson who said, We are not the ones to say where other nations should draw lines between them that will ensure each the greatest security. It is clear, however, that a return to the situation of June 4th, 1967 will not bring peace.
peace. There must be a secure and there must be recognized borders. Likewise, Power omitted Secretary of State Schultz's 1988 statement saying, the territorial issue needs to be addressed realistically. Israel will never negotiate from or return to the lines of partition or to the 1967 borders. And finally, the Clinton parameters of December 2000, which contemplates Israel annexation of large settlement blocks, are also ignored by this resolution. Number nine, the U.S. support of this resolution reneges on the U.S. commitments in the 2004 Bush Sharon letters. By allowing the resolution's new language enshrining the June 4, 1967 lines, which are the 1949 armistice lines, the U.S. position reneges on the 2004 exchange of letters negotiated between Prime Minister Ariel Sharon and U.S. President George Bush. The Bush letter stated, in light of new realities on the ground, including already existing major Israeli population centers, it is unrealistic to expect that the outcome of final status negotiations will be a full and complete return to the armistice lines of 1949, and all previous efforts to negotiate a two-state solution have reached the same conclusion. Prime Minister Sharon relied on the Bush commitments as a part of a negotiated package deal being the consideration Israel received and relied upon in exchange for its total withdrawal from the Gaza Strip. When the U.S. ignores written commitments to its allies, its international credibility is dangerously diminished. Moreover, the Bush letter severely undermines the claim that the U.S. vote was fully in line with prior history. Point number 10. The resolution lacks legitimacy of U.S. opinion. The resolution has been firmly rejected by the broader mainstream of American society, including by congressional leaders of President Obama's own party. Incoming Senate minority leader Charles Schumer, a Democrat from New York, called the U.S. vote frustrating, disappointing, and confounding and said, and it will move the Middle East farther from peace. Senator Ron Wyden, a Democrat of Oregon, was deeply disappointed that the administration set aside long-standing U.S. policy to allow such a one-sided resolution to pass. The U.S. abstention on such a flagrantly one-sided resolution, said Senator Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat of Vermont, is unconscionable. Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat of Virginia, said that he was dismayed that the administration departed from decades of U.S. policy by not vetoing the U.N. resolution. Even President Obama's former special envoy for Middle East peace opposed the decision. President Obama would have been wise to veto this resolution, said George Mitchell, a former Senate Majority Leader, because of the timing and the circumstance that it leads to with respect to trying to get the parties together. The Washington Post called the U.S. decision a dangerous parting shot at Israel, likely to do more harm than good. Number 11. The resolution reverses decades of U.S. practice. There has not been a resolution like this in a generation, not since the Carter years in 1979 and 1980, and even those resolutions did not take place during a time of extreme anti-Israeli boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaigns, and in the context of global anti-Israeli lawfare prosecutions sought in the International Criminal Court and elsewhere. This reverses decades of practice by both Democrat and Republican presidents. Moreover, unlike with the few other U.S.-backed resolutions in history that criticized Israel from time to time, the nature of the coordination and the careful timing of this maneuver against a close ally makes it seem particularly deliberate and hostile. And finally, number 12, in allowing this resolution to pass, the United States joined with Venezuela and Malaysia, two members of the U.N. Security Council, to condemn Israel. Whom you align with 
with that the UN matters. One cannot think of another time in modern history when the U.S. endorsed the UN Security Council resolution, co-sponsored by countries such as Venezuela, whose Maduro regime has thrown its opposition leaders in jail while causing mass starvation in Malaysia, a hotbed of anti-Semitism. Speaking of Venezuela, whose political prisoners we have championed, it is noteworthy that while Secretary Kerry said repeatedly that the U.S. cannot, in good conscience, do nothing and say nothing in regard to Israeli settlements, the Obama administration has said nothing every year and appeals to oppose the election of tyrannies such as Venezuela to the UN Human Rights Council. The U.S. said nothing to stop the Maduro regime being elected last year. The U.S. said nothing to stop Saudi Arabia, China, and Cuba from getting elected this year. And the U.S. said nothing to stop Russia getting elected in 2013. The Obama administration's policy of speaking out when good conscience requires it ought to be less selective. Historically, after Pilate made his decision that Yeshua would be crucified, in doing so, Pilate said, I am innocent of my decision. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 24 it is written, When Pilate saw, he took water and washed his hands, saying, I am innocent of this blood. Pilate is prophetic of the United States, who, after abstaining at the UN Security Council on the settlement issue, said afterwards that they were innocent regarding the resolution itself and their vote. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry held a round of consultations with Mideast officials, including Netanyahu in the run-up to the draft resolution, U.S. State Department spokesperson John Kirby said. When Kirby talked with Netanyahu on December the 22nd, Kirby refused to tell Netanyahu that the U.S. was vetoing the resolution. Ben Rhodes, U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor, said, We did not draft this resolution. We did not introduce this resolution. We made this decision when it came up for a vote. An Obama administration official added, The U.S. did not inform other Security Council members ahead of U.S. Ambassador Samantha Power's vote. The claim is as follows. After speaking with Kerry, Vice President Joe Biden and U.N. Ambassador Samantha Power, the night before the vote, Obama conveyed his final decision to National Security Advisor Susan Rice just hours before the vote. After the drama that unfolded when Egypt, which originally pioneered the resolution, chose at the last minute to pull the draft, prompting New Zealand, Venezuela, and Senegal to resubmit the same text. In addition, despite not using its veto, the U.S. claimed that it was not involved with writing the text of the U.N. Security Council, nor did the U.S. say that they promoted it. In their vote, the United States blamed Israel and their settlement policy for the reason for their vote. Ben Rhodes, U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor, explained the U.S. decision not to veto the anti-Israel U.N. Security Council settlement resolution by saying, Netanyahu had the opportunity to pursue policies that would have led to a different outcome today, he said, after citing U.S. governmental figures on settlement growth in the West Bank and mentioning that Israeli premiers passed statements on his government's allegiance to the settlement movement. Rhodes said that settlement activity accelerated considerably since the U.S. vetoed a similar U.N. resolution in 2011, leading the United States to believe that taking the same course of action absent ongoing peace talks would not yield different results. In the absence of any meaningful peace process, as well as in the accelerated settlement activity, he said, we took the decision that we did today to abstain on the resolution. Rhodes repeatedly referred to settlement growth as creating trend lines the U.S. believed was putting the very viability of a two-state solution at risk. Rhodes added, We've been warning for years that the trend line of settlement activity was increasing Israel's international isolation. Ask what the president thought 
Security Council Resolution 2334 would accomplish and whether the administration fears it is forcing the incoming Republican administration to react. Rhodes described the move as a last resort reached after years of struggling with an intractable Israeli government. Where is the evidence that not doing this will slow the settlement construction. We've tried a different approach for years here, Rhodes said, noting that the resolution which states that Israeli settlements have no basis in law also condemns incitement to violence by the Palestinian leadership. We have a body of evidence to assess how this Israeli government has responded to us not taking this kind of action and that suggests that they will continue to accelerate the type of settlement construction that puts a two-state solution at risk, he said. The reason for the change now, he said, was that the administration exhausted every effort to pursue a two-state solution through negotiations, alluding to the 2013-2014 push by U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry to reach a final status agreement in a nine-month time frame, as well as other efforts since 2009. Therefore, the Obama administration could not in good conscience vote against a resolution brought before the UN Security Council condemning Israel for its settlement enterprises. He said, here we are at least trying to establish that the international community is on the record for opposing building Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. While settlements, he acknowledged, were not the only issue obstructing the prospects of peace, the resolution also incorporated language critical of Palestinian incitement and violence. And because the rest of the text was narrowly focused enough on opposition to the enterprise, Obama was prepared to support it, he indicated. We would have vetoed any resolution that would impose a final status issue or endorse a set of parameters, Rhodes emphasized. In addition, recent remarks from Israeli leaders, Ben Rhodes said, had exasperated American concerns enough for the USA to support the anti-Israel settlement resolution. Absent this acceleration of settlement activity, absent the type of rhetoric we've seen out of the current Israeli government, I think the United States likely would have taken a different view, he stated. Netanyahu's statement earlier this month calling his cabinet more committed than any other to West Bank settlements was among the remarks the United States found troubling, he said. Rhodes also cited the head of the nationalist Jewish Home Party, Education Minister Naftali Bennett, claiming the era of the two-state solution is over. Regarding the U.S. decision to not veto the anti-Israel settlement resolution at the U.N. Security Council, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry said that Israel's unprecedented effort to build Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem had spawned terrorism and violence that jeopardizes lasting peace in the region. As a result, Kerry said that the U.S. chose to act with one primary goal in mind, and that was preservation of a two-state solution. That is why we cannot, in good conscience, stand in the way of a resolution at the United Nations that makes clear that both sides must act now to preserve the possibility of peace, Kerry said. While we do not agree with every aspect of this resolution, it rightly condemns violence and incitement and settlement activity and calls on both sides to take constructive steps to reverse current trends and advance the prospects for a two-state solution, and it does not seek to impose on the parties a solution to the conflict. It preserves the ability for the parties to negotiate the end of conflict. The United States acted with one primary objective in mind, and that is to preserve the possibility of the two-state solution, which every U.S. administration for decades has agreed is the only way to achieve a just and lasting peace between Israelis and Palestinians, Kerry said. Two states is the only way to ensure Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state living in peace and security with its neighbors and freedom and dignity for the Palestinian people. In order to try to persuade others that the United States 
was not involved in the drafting and planning of the UN Security Council resolution brought forth by Egypt on behalf of the Palestinians, the United States in recent months and even throughout the year has been engaged in diplomatic double talk. In the weeks leading up to the vote, the United States maintained ambiguity on everything related to the prospect that Obama would push for a UN Security Council resolution on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by the end of his presidency. However, despite making statements of ambiguity, Kerry has expressed interest in the past on advancing a UN Security Council resolution that would include the recommendations that appeared in the July 1st report of the Middle East Quartet. That is the group that includes the United States, the United Nations, the European Union, and Russia. The Quartet recommendations relate to negative steps on Israel's part, such as settlement construction, the legalization of illegal West Bank settlement outposts, and the demolition of Palestinian homes, but also deals with negative steps on the Palestinians' part, such as incitement and violence. Kerry expressed his belief that he could support a resolution that would be balanced and that would also constitute a clear work plan for the international community and for the incoming Trump administration. In an address to the Sabin Forum earlier in December, during which he castigated the Jewish settlements, Kerry left open the possibility that the U.S. might not block a resolution if it was not deemed to be biased against Israel. In addition, prior to the settlement vote, the Obama administration also had discussed the idea of refraining from casting a veto on a resolution on the West Bank settlements as long as it was not extremely biased against Israel and reflected the administration's policy on the settlements. So in the United States saying that they played no role in the planning and drafting of the UN Security Council resolution that was presented on behalf of the Palestinians, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Samantha Power explained the rationale for the United States abstaining in the vote. She said, Today, the Security Council reaffirmed its established consensus that settlements have no legal validity. The United States has been sending the message that the settlements must stop privately and publicly for nearly five decades. Through the administrations of President Lyndon B. Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and now Barack Obama. Indeed, since 1967, the only president who had not had at least one Israeli-Palestinian related Security Council resolution passed during his entire tenure was Barack Obama. So our vote today is fully in line with the bipartisan history of how American presidents have approached both the issue and the role of this body because this resolution reflects the facts on the ground and is consistent with U.S. policy across Republican and Democratic administrations throughout the history of the state of Israel. That is why the United States did not veto it. The Israeli Prime Minister recently described his government as more committed to settlements than any other in Israel's history. And one of his leading coalition partners recently declared that the era of the two-state solution is over. At the same time, the Prime Minister has said that he is still committed to pursuing a two-state solution. But these statements are irreconcilable. One cannot simultaneously champion expanding Israeli settlements and champion a viable two-state solution that would end the conflict. 
one has to make a choice between settlements and separation. In 2011, the United States vetoed a resolution that focused exclusively on settlements, as if settlements were the only factor harming the prospects of a two-state solution. The circumstances have changed dramatically. Since 2011, settlement growth has only accelerated. Since 2011, multiple efforts to pursue peace through negotiations have failed. And since 2011, President Obama and Secretary Kerry have repeatedly warned publicly and privately that the absence of progress toward peace and continued settlement expansion was going to put the two-state solution at risk and threaten Israel's stated objective to remain both a Jewish state and a democratic state. Moreover, unlike in 2011, this resolution condemns violence, terrorism, and excitement, which also poses an extremely grave risk to the two-state solution. This resolution reflects trends that will permanently destroy the hope of a two-state solution if they continue on their current course. Some may cast the U.S. vote as a sign that we have finally given up on a two-state solution. Nothing could be further from the truth. None of us can give up on a two-state solution. We continue to believe that a solution is the only viable path to provide peace and security for the state of Israel and the freedom and dignity for the Palestinian people. And we continue to believe that the parties can still pursue this path if both sides are honest about the choices and have the courage to take steps that will be politically difficult. While we can encourage them, it is ultimately up to the parties to choose this path, as it always has been. We sincerely hope that they will begin making these choices before it's too late. Before Yeshua was betrayed by Judas, he identified that Judas would betray him. John chapter 13, verse 21 and verse 26. When Yeshua had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Yeshua answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. What Yeshua did is prophetic of what happened to Israel. Israel was troubled from the U.S. abstention vote. And Israel said that they knew and had evidence that the United States had indeed betrayed them and that they would present that evidence to President-elect Donald Trump after January the 20th. The details are as follows. A spokesperson for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, David Keyes, said that Israel had rather ironclad information that U.S. President Barack Obama played an active role in both formulating and pushing for the U.N. Security Council resolution lambasting settlement construction. Key said, we have rather ironclad information from sources in both the Arab world and internationally that this was a deliberate push by the United States and in fact they helped create the resolution in the first place. In fact, an Egyptian paper published transcripts of meetings between top U.S. and Palestinian officials which would corroborate Israeli accusations that the Obama administration was behind the anti-Israel Security Council resolution condemning Israeli settlements. In a meeting in early December between Kerry and top Palestinian negotiator Sab Arakat, there was an agreement reached on the matter of a resolution against the settlements and that Kerry said that the United States would not veto it, quoting an Egyptian newspaper. Also present at the meeting were U.S. National Security Advisor Susan Rice and Majed Faraj, Director of the Palestinian Authority General Intelligence Service. Kerry and Rice said America's U.N. Ambassador Samantha Power was prepared to meet with Palestinian U.N. Ambassador 
Mr. Riyad Mansour to discuss the matter. Rice and Kerry are said to have asked Arakat and the other members of the delegation to keep the meeting top secret. Kerry and Rice said that they wanted to avoid leaks of the meeting to the media because of the sensitivity of the transition to the Trump administration. In addition to these things, Britain helped to draft the resolution. Because of these things, an Israeli official accused the Obama administration of a premeditated plan to betray Israel, saying, The U.S. administration secretly cooked up with the Palestinians an extreme anti-Israeli resolution behind Israel's back, which would be a tailwind for terror and boycotts and effectively make the Western Wall occupied Palestinian territory. Another Israeli official said that it is the last sting of President Obama. It exposes the true face of the Obama administration. Now it's easier to understand what we dealt with the past eight years. They added, the United States acted behind the back in composing and advancing the resolution against Israel. We knew about it through Arab and international sources. The official added, this is an abandonment of Israel which breaks decades of U.S. policy of protecting Israel at the U.N. and undermines the prospects of working with the next administration of advancing peace. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu lashed out at Obama, accusing him of actively working against Israel at the UN, saying, Israel categorically rejects the despicable anti-Israeli resolution at the UN and will not adhere to it. While the Security Council does nothing to prevent the massacre of half a million people in Syria, it is shamefully singling out Israel, which is the only democracy in the Middle East, the Prime Minister's office said. The Obama administration not only failed to defend Israel from the harassment at the UN, it cooperated with it behind the scenes, saying that the Obama administration had carried out underhanded and an anti-Israel maneuver at the UN Security Council. We have no doubt that the Obama administration initiated it, stood behind it, coordinated its versions, and insisted upon passage, which is completely contrary to the traditional American policy of not seeking to impose final terms to the UN Security Council. Netanyahu added that it was surreal and that it determined that the Jewish quarter of the old city and the Western Wall were occupied territory. There is nothing more ridiculous than to call the Western Wall and the Jewish quarter occupied territory, he said. Furthermore, he said the resolution represented an effort to impose the terms of a permanent Israeli-Palestinian accord. It won't work, he said. The last person to attempt to do this, he said, was Carter, a president deeply hostile to Israel and who recently said that Hamas is not a terrorist organization. The U.S. abstention came in a complete contradiction to a specific commitment by President Obama in 2011, he said. It was a shameful anti-Israel ambush by the administration, he said. Therefore, he said, invoking the spirit of the Hanukkah festival which began December the 24th, the light will oust the darkness. Finally, Kerry suggested during the meeting with the Palestinians that he would give a speech presenting principles to resolve the core issues between the Palestinians and Israel. Kerry said that he would do so only if the Palestinians supported the principles he put forward. The document stated that these were the same principles Kerry had outlined in negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians and which were presented to the sides in February and March 2014. The U.S. officials advised the Palestinians to travel to Saudi Arabia to present the plan to Saudi leaders. Because because of this, Israel fears that Kerry will then lay out his comprehensive vision for a two-state solution at a Paris peace conference planned for January. Israel has refused to attend. Israel further fears that this Kerry framework could be enshrined in another UN Security Council resolution. In Genesis chapter 27 verse 22, it is written, And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father and said, The hands are the hands of Esau. Referring to this verse, Israel ministry of of environmental protection, Zeev Elkin.
Clinton on a private visit to the Ukraine, which was his childhood home, claimed that Ukraine's vote in favor of the recent resolution calling for a halt to Jewish building in the West Bank was not made of the country's own volition. The hands are American hands, Elkin said, using a reference to Genesis chapter 27 verse 22. It was announced here in Ukraine that the Ukrainians really wanted to abstain, but U.S. Vice President Joe Biden personally called the president of Ukraine and pressured the Ukrainians to vote in favor. He added, there is a good deal of hypocrisy here because the Americans basically didn't dare to vote in favor but only abstained while pressuring other countries to vote in favor. In Matthew chapter 26 verse 50, One of Yeshua's twelve disciples, a so-called friend of his, caused Yeshua to be taken into custody, as it is written. And Yeshua said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Yeshua and took him. This is prophetic of what happened to Israel. Israel regards the United States as their friends. And so Israel questioned the United States, how was it that you abstained from this anti-Israel settlement security council resolution? Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said, over decades, American administrations and Israeli governments have disagreed about settlements, but we agreed that the Security Council was not the place to resolve the issue, Netanyahu said. We knew that going there would make negotiations harder and drive peace further away. As I told U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry, friends don't take friends to the U.N. Security Council. Israel Finance Minister Moshe Collin accused the U.S. of turning its back on Israel by abstaining from an anti-Israel resolution at the U.N. Security Council. He said, We've spoken a lot about the nature of the Security Council, but there is one thing we should pay attention to. How did our best friend at the U.N. turn their back on us at the exact moment of truth? Energy Minister Yuval Steinitz said that the U.S. abstention was not how friends behave. Deputy Public Diplomacy Minister Michael Oren of the Kulanu political party, who also served as Israel's ambassador to the U.S. between the years 2009 and 2013, said, This is abandonment and betrayal. Betrayal of us, but not only of us. It is a betrayal of all of Israel's allies. Every country which considered itself an ally of the U.S. must ask itself if it can continue to rely on the U.S. Because if the U.S. is willing to abandon its only democratic ally in the Middle East, we need to wonder how it would act toward its allies in other parts of the world, Oren said. The U.S. has violated its bipartisan policy of 50 years. The unambiguous policy is that there is no substitute for direct negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians. This is a policy which President Obama himself promised to abide by in 2011, when National Security Advisor Susan Rice was still serving as UN Ambassador. Rice herself said that there is no substitute for direct negotiations. There was no place in the UN to hold those negotiations, and the U.S. should not dictate a solution to Israel. Regarding his own reaction to the UN resolution, Oren said, I feel great sadness when I think about the UN Security Council's decision. I also see it as a severe and grave decision. This is a decision which defines half a million Israeli citizens as international criminals and the Western Wall as occupied territory. It opens the door to sanctions against Israel. As a nation and as a country, we need to stand united against 
against this decision. Boycott, divestment, and sanctions, and the delegitimization of all types. When asked if he believed the U.S. had taken an active role in ensuring the resolution could pass, Orrin said, I feel it hard to believe otherwise. From my sources, and they are senior officials, that is exactly what happened. But even more, I know from about 40 years of experience in the field that these processes don't happen on their own. They happen when someone puts focused energy into bringing countries to vote. It's difficult, if not impossible, to believe this happened without the aid of the U.S. government. Condemning settlements and blaming Israel for violating international law is no longer in the hands of the U.S. It's in the hands of the U.N. The U.N. can now use these accusations to sue Israel at the Hague International Court and to sanction and boycott Israel. When Yeshua had indicated to Judas that he would betray him, Judas said, Is it indeed I who will betray you? In Matthew chapter 26, verse 25, it is written, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? So what happened to Yeshua happened to Israel. When Israel stated that the United States had betrayed her and they had evidence, the United States denied the accusation. A senior Obama administration official said that the U.S. was not behind a push for the resolution at the UN Security Council condemning the Israel settlement enterprise. He said, to be clear from the start, this was an Egyptian resolution. The Egyptians authored it, circulated it, and submitted it before asking for a delay and subsequently removed their sponsorship. A group of other Security Council members headed by New Zealand, which did not include the United States, decided to move forward the Egyptian text. Contrary to some claims, the administration was not involved in formulating the resolution, nor have we promoted it, he said. The Palestinians reacted to the December 23rd UN Security Council resolution vote with much joy. This also is prophetic. In Ezekiel chapter 35 verse 2 it is written, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, which is Esau, and prophesy against it. Verses 12 and 13. And you will know that I am the Lord, and that I have heard all the blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel. That is the West Bank in Jerusalem, saying, They are laid desolate, and they are given us to consume. Verse 13, Thus with your mouth you have boasted against me, that is the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you've multiplied your words against me, and I have heard them. Continuing in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 1 and 2, it is written, Son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel, that is the West Bank and Jerusalem, and say, You mountains of Israel, Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus is the Lord God, because the enemy has said against you, Aha! Even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Ezekiel 36 verse 5. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy, that is his judgment against the nations for dividing the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, have I spoken against the residue of the nations in all of Esau, who has appointed my land for their possession with with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds, to cast it out for a prey. So it is the nations who is headed by the United States in partnership with the Palestinians in the Arab world who are pronouncing that the mountains of Israel is under their control, under their rulership, under their say, that they can declare the status of the mountains of Israel through UN Security Council resolutions. And the 
United States in the United Nations is saying that the sovereignty of the West Bank in Jerusalem is up to us and that land is given over to us in a way that we see fit through our United Nations Security Council resolutions and international law. And the Palestinians are saying that the West Bank in Jerusalem rightfully belongs to them and thus should be made a Palestinian state. So it is the combination of the United States, the United Nations, the Palestinians, and the Arab world to whom this prophecy regarding Esau in Ezekiel chapter 35 and 36 is directed. The details are as follows. In reaction to the vote, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas called the resolution a quote-unquote a slap in the face to Israeli policy and an quote-unquote absolute international condemnation to settlements and unanimous support for a two-state solution. He added that the Security Council resolution doesn't solve the Palestinian problem, but it defines it. According to Abbas, the UN's decision is a clear statement by the world according to which the settlement enterprise in the territories occupied in 1967, including Jerusalem, are an illegitimate enterprise. Finally, Abbas said, the voting in favor of the resolution hasn't resolved the Palestinian cause, but defined it. The resolution stressed the legal basics for a solution and reiterated that Israeli settlements are illegal. Chief Palestinian negotiator Sab Arakat said, this is a day of victory for international law, a victory for civilized language and negotiation and a total rejection of extremist forces in Israel. The international community has told the people of Israel that the way to security and peace is not going to be done through occupation, but rather through peace ending the occupation and establishing a Palestinian state to live side by side with the state of Israel on the 1967 borders. In addition to the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas also welcomed the UN Security Council vote. Hamas, an Islamic terror group which runs the Gaza Strip, responded positively to the resolution passing, saying, Hamas welcomes the UN Security Council resolution regarding the settlements. This decision confirms the world's resistance to the Israeli occupation policy. Islamic Jihad, the second largest force in Gaza, also welcomed the UN vote, with that terror group spokesman saying that it would lead to Israel's isolation and boycott while opening it up to prosecution under international law. Next, I'm going to share with you various reactions by Israel leaders. Israel President Reuven Rivlin called the resolution disgraceful, serious, and unfortunate. That brings us no nearer to negotiations with the Palestinians, but rather makes such a prospect even more distant. We expected that the United States, our greatest ally and friend, which has stood unwavering on the side of Israel's security needs throughout the years, would stand by us at this time and not abandon us, leaving us in the hands of a cynical body driven by alien interests, he said. Israel, ambassador to the United United Nations Danny Danone said that the council had voted no to negotiations. You have voted no to progress and a chance for better lives for Israelis and Palestinians. And you have voted no to the possibility of peace. Holding a Bible in his hand, Danone said, this book holds 3,000 years of Jewish history in Israel and no one can dictate or change that fact. This decision will join the list of shameful and anti-Israel decisions made by this organization. Turning to the other ambassadors, he said, 
said, Who gave you the right to condemn the Jewish nation for building homes in its eternal capital? Would you have dared to question the right to build in Paris, in Beijing, in London, in Washington? The Palestinians' efforts to harm Israel through the UN will not help peace and will not advance any solutions. The Palestinians will gain nothing until they stop terror and incitement and return to direct negotiations with Israel, Danone concluded. Israel Deputy Foreign Minister Zippy Hatovli said the administration can atone for its failure in Aleppo, that is Syria, with the nasty resolution against the settlements. Likud Knesset member Oren Hazan said that deluded dream of a two-state solution brought out the Hussein in Obama, who refuses to accept the election results. Only massive construction will explain to the anti-Semites in the UN that we're here to stay, he said. Yeshatid party leader Yair Lapid lambasted against the UN resolution, telling reporters that it was dangerous, unfair, and Israel doesn't accept it. The resolution was an act of hypocrisy, he said, when a murderous terrorist group like Hamas praises the decision of the UN Security Council, it is clear whom it serves. Next, I'm going to share with you various reactions by United States leaders. U.S. Senator John McCain, a Republican from Arizona, said that Obama's abstention has made us complicit in this outrageous attack and added the abstention emboldens Israel's enemies. U.S. House Speaker Paul Ryan, a Republican from Wisconsin, said that the decision to abstain in the U.N. Security Council vote was absolutely shameful. He added, Today's vote is a blow to peace that sets a dangerous precedent for the further diplomatic efforts to isolate and demonize Israel. Our unified Republican government will work to reverse the damage done by this administration and rebuild our alliance with Israel, Ryan said. U.S. Senator from Texas Ted Cruz, a Republican, reacted to the anti-Israel settlement resolution by calling on the United States to withhold funding to the United Nations until such time that the global body reverses the resolution condemning Israeli presence in the West Bank and Eastern Jerusalem. U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina, announced that he will propose a measure to pull U.S. funding for the United Nations unless the U.N. Security Council repeals the resolution that passed condemning Israeli settlements. It's that important to me, Graham told CNN. This is a road we haven't gone down before. If you can't show the American people that international organizations can be more responsible, there is going to be a break, and I'm going to lead that break. I will do everything in my power working with the new administration and Congress to leave no doubt about where America stands when it comes to the peace process and where we stand with the only true democracy in the Middle East, Israel. Graham added, noting that American funding for the United Nations accounts for 22% of its budget. The response by Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other Israeli leaders to the UN Security Council vote was of the spirit and the cry of the Maccabees. When the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes IV tried to impose Greek rule and Greek custom and Greek ways upon the Jewish people living in Judea, this resulted in a revolt against the Greeks. The revolt was headed by by a Levitical priestly family, headed by Judas Maccabee. After waging over a three-year war against the Greeks, the Greeks were finally defeated, and the temple that was desecrated by Antiochus IV by putting up a statue of Zeus and by killing a pig and putting it upon the altar was rededicated. The celebration of this victory over the Greeks is the purpose of the celebration of Hanukkah. And on the second night of Hanukkah, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu lit a 
Hanukkah candle at the western wall. In doing so, he said, I was not planning on being here tonight, Netanyahu said, but in light of the UN resolution, I do not believe that there is a better place to light a Hanukkah candle than here at the western wall. The anti-Jewish settlement resolution just passed at the United Nations Security Council states that all the so-called Jewish settlements over the 1949 armistice line are illegal, including the Jewish quarter in the old city of Jerusalem. Netanyahu said that according to the United Nations, the Maccabees did not liberate Jerusalem, but rather occupied Palestinian territory. According to the UN resolution, the villages that they left in Moedim to fight the Greeks and the surrounding areas, the villages in their surroundings were all occupied Palestinian territories, he said. Of course, we know that the Arabs came much later. We were in those places when the Hanukkah story took place a millennium before the Arabs arrived. We returned to those places. I asked those nations wishing us a happy Hanukkah. How can they vote for a UN resolution which says that the places where we celebrate Hanukkah and where the story took place are occupied Palestinian territory? Netanyahu asked. The Western Wall is not occupied. The Jewish Quarter is not occupied. The other places are also not occupied. Therefore, we do not accept, nor can we accept this resolution. We are confident in our future because we know our past. I asked to go and light a Hanukkah candle here on behalf of eternal Israel. Happy Hanukkah. Deputy Defense Minister Eli Dahan of the Jewish Home Party said, Israel likened the anti-Israel settlement resolution to the Hanukkah story, saying Israel will overcome the UN just as the Hasmoneans defeated the Greek Empire. Justice Minister Ayelet Shaked of Jewish Home reacted to the anti-Israel settlement resolution by saying, the UN Security Council resolution passed just before Hanukkah reminds us of something in our history. There's something very sad and pitiful about that moment when the Security Council votes for an anti-Israel resolution and the world cheers. But when it comes to harming the Jewish state, why not? Syria, they protect. There are no resolutions against it. But against the only democratic country in the Middle East, there are dozens of resolutions. It's just like David Ben-Gurion said. We survived Pharaoh. We'll survive this too, Sheikh had concluded. Rabbi Haim Druckmann, head of the B'nai Akiva Yeshivas, spoke about the anti-Israel settlement resolution passed at the UN Security Council and said that steps are needed now as a response from the Israeli government. Rabbi Druckmann said that the resolution has a special meaning on Hanukkah. It is said in the book of Maccabees that Antiochus sent Shimon the Hasmonean a message saying, You capture Jaffa and Gezer and the citadel in Jerusalem that are a part of my kingdom. Give me back these cities of mine that you've taken. Shimon responded by saying, We took no foreign land. This land is an inheritance from our forefathers that our enemies unjust occupied. We have simply restored this inheritance. This same answer must we give now. I appeal to the Prime Minister to echo with pride the response of Shimon the Hasmonean and use his leadership to express this in practical terms by the immediate application of Israeli sovereignty over at least the whole of Area C of the West Bank, just as former Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin did over the Golan Heights. This act would be the greatest gift to the people of Israel on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of our return to these lands of our homeland. Rabbi Druckmann continued saying, I appeal to the Prime Minister and I say to him, you can do it. Providence gave you this right. Be strong and courageous. Rabbi Druckmann said that a statement echoing the words of Simon the Maccabee should be first and foremost domestically in light of the question marks within Israel over our right to the land. Many in the leadership of Israel say that this anti-Israel settlement resolution at the UN Security Council will not bring peace. In Joel chapter 3 verse 2 it is written and I will also gather all nations and bring
bring them down in the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations and parted or divided my land. And from the nations parting or dividing the land of Israel, this is through a desire to create a Palestinian state based upon 1967 borders with East Jerusalem as its capital, Joel chapter 3 says that it will result in the nations going to war. Joel chapter 3 verse 9, Proclaim this among the Gentiles, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Israel, ambassador to the UN, Danny Danone, said that the council had voted no to negotiations, you have voted no to progress, and a chance for better lives for Israelis and Palestinians, and you have voted no to the possibility of peace. The prophetic kiss of Esau in Israel being put on trial by the nations and being declared guilty and given a sentence of death, a sentence of crucifixion, will lead to the resurrection of Israel and Israel being raised to glory. However, Israel being raised to glory will only happen through the birth pangs of the Great Tribulation, wherein at the beginning of the Great Tribulation will be the birth of Biblical Zion. And what is the birth of Biblical Zion? It is an independent state in the West Bank, separate and distinct from the present state of Israel, with Jerusalem as its capital. It will be done by the governors of Judah, Zechariah 12, verses 5 and 6, at the start of the Great Tribulation, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, and Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when the Jewish nationalists in Netanyahu's government will not be able to successfully annex the West Bank into present-day Israel. The birth of biblical Zion will begin the greater exodus, Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 through 16, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 7 and 8, and thus the uniting of the twelve tribes of Israel upon the mountains of Israel, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 through 22, by the Messiah of Israel, even Yeshua HaMashiach, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 13. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 6, it is written, In that day I will make the governors of Judah. The governors of Judah today are the leaders of various regions in Judea and Samaria. So I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 8 through 10. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. So that nation that's being brought forth in one day is called Zion. It's being born in one day. It's being born during a time of travail. This is a reference to the start of the Great Tribulation. And as soon as she brought forth, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Her children are the sons of Zion. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 13. Who loves Zion and stand for the covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That the sons of Zion will fight for Zion and the sons of Zion, those from the northern kingdom of Joseph and the southern kingdom of Judah will be united on the mountains of Israel, ending their exile. In Isaiah 66 verse 9, it is written, Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, says the Lord? In other words, all these events have already taken place to create and bring about the condition for the birth of biblical Zion. 
So the Lord asks the question, have all these circumstances come about so that biblical Zion can be born and then biblical Zion will be prevented from being born? The reason why the question is asked is because it will look like that way in the natural. However, through much pain, biblical Zion will be born. An independent state in Judea and Samaria will be declared with Jerusalem as its capital. That's why it says in Isaiah 66 verse 10, Rejoice you with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you that mourn for her. Isaiah 66 verse 14, When you see this, when you see the declaration of an independent state in Judea and Samaria with Jerusalem as its capital, when you see the declaration for the birth of biblical Zion, your heart will rejoice and your bones will flourish like an herb because you know it means it's the end of the exile of northern kingdom and southern kingdom. It means that they're going to return to the mountains of Israel. It means the Messiah is going to return and set up his kingdom. And at that time, the hand of the Lord will be known to his servants, those that stand for biblical Zion, and his indignation or his judgment toward his enemies, those that oppose biblical Zion. Who opposes biblical Zion? The sons of Greece. In Zechariah chapter 9 verse 13, it is written, When I have bent Judah for me and filled the bow with Ephraim, and I raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. The sons of Greece is Esau, and I made you as the sword of a mighty man. Next, I'm going to explain to you how UN Security Council Resolution 2334 creates the condition for the birth of biblical Zion in the West Bank. United Nations Security Council Resolution 2334 may have created the basis for legitimizing Israeli annexation and sovereignty in the West Bank. The resolution changed the rules of the game. It abrogates the Oslo and Interim Agreements from 1993 that divided the West Bank into areas A and B under the Palestinian Authority and area C in which Jewish communities, they are called settlements, were built under Israeli control. The issue of settlements was left for final status agreements, along with the issue of a return of Palestinian refugees to Israel and the status of Jerusalem. By seeking to impose an Arab-Palestinian state without direct negotiations as a fait accompli and declaring settlements to be illegal, the UN Security Council Resolution 2334 has effectively did away with or annulled all prior agreements on the issue which would include the Oslo Accords signed in September 1993. The question is who should be the responsible authority in the disputed areas? If it goes back to 1967 it can't be the Palestinian Authority since it didn't exist then. Moreover the new United Nations Security Council Resolution seems to contradict United Nations Security Council Resolution 242 passed in November 1967 following the June 67 Six-Day War and UN Security Council Resolution 338 that was passed in 1973 after the Yom Kippur War. Those resolutions recognized Israel's legitimate claims to the land. Jordan cannot be considered the authority since it renounced all claims to the West Bank, which it had acquired by force in 1948, and was never recognized as the legitimate sovereign in those areas. The only legitimate claimant of sovereignty in what was called Palestine by the international community 
community, according to the League of Nations and the British Mandate, is the State of Israel, that is, the Jewish National Home. The recent UN Security Council resolution has made the issue even more complicated by declaring that all Israeli settlements and buildings beyond the 1949 armistice lines, also called the Green Line, are illegal according to international law, which the International Criminal Court could declare a war crime. But what is the law? The law is the Fourth Geneva Convention as interpreted by the International Committee of the Red Cross. Acting as judge and jury, the International Committee of the Red Cross decided unilaterally and in secret that Israeli settlements violated Article 49 of the Fourth Geneva Convention. Although the Fourth Geneva Convention does not mention Israeli settlements, the International Committee of the Red Cross decided that Israel has illegally occupied Palestinian territory. According to the recent UN Security Council resolution, not only would individual Jews who live in the occupied territories be vulnerable to criminal charges, Israeli civilian and military officials who supported building settlements would be at risk. It gets worse. If Israeli building on land claimed by Arab Palestinians after 1967 is illegal and a war crime because it was acquired as a result of a war, then logically this should also apply to Israeli acquisitions of Arab land as a result of the war of 1948-49. Moreover, if Israel has committed the crime of allowing its citizens to live in occupied territory, it should apply to every Israeli citizen who has moved to the disputed areas, not only to Jews. This would include thousands of Bedouin and Israeli Arabs who moved into eastern Jerusalem neighborhoods and built tens of thousands of illegal homes and businesses. If United Nations Security Council Resolution 2334 is enforced, it should also apply to non-Jews as well. By abrogating the Oslo and Interim Agreements of 1993 and 1995 that divided the West Bank into areas A and B under Palestinian Authority and Area C in which Jewish communities or settlements were built under Israeli control and wherein it was agreed in the 1993 Oslo Accords that the issue of settlements would be left to final status negotiations, it allows Israeli nationalists to reevaluate the entire situation. In doing so, they are advocating annexing and even declaring sovereignty in the West Bank. One such organization in Israel who is advocating sovereignty in the West Bank is Women in Green. They hold annual conferences on the subject and produce a magazine called Sovereignty. Ultimately, the sons of Zion, living in the land of Israel, and the governors of Judah will ultimately declare the West Bank of Jerusalem to be a sovereign state called Biblical Zion. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8, Revelation chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. So, should Israel annex parts of the West Bank? The survey commissioned by Israeli radio found that 39% of Israelis said that they are in favor of Israel annexing the entire West Bank. 31% of Israelis support the annexation of only the large settlement blocks in the West Bank, with the Palestinian state being established in the remaining areas, including East Jerusalem. 30% of Israelis support establishing a Palestinian state based on the 1967 borders, with Israel retaining sovereignty over the Western Wall and the Old City of Jerusalem, and the Palestinians' sovereignty on the Temple Mount. The leader of the modern Orthodox Nationalistic Party Jewish Home, Naftali Bennett, said, Recently, members of the UN Security Council raised their hands in favor of a resolution that the entire Old City, the Mount of Olives, the City of David, and the rest of Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley are all occupied Palestinian territory and thus illegal under international law. And whose authority do people address a nation founded almost 4,000 years ago and for 3,000 of which has had Jerusalem as its capital? Who appointed them to say that our house, our capital, is occupied? Jerusalem is ours forever and no Jew in any generation and even a whole generation of Jews who seeks to forfeit it can do so because it belongs to the nation of Israel, said Bennett. People wish us a happy Hanukkah. When they wish happy Hanukkah, do they understand we're Jewish?
Judah Maccabee fought? Did he fight in Tel Aviv or on the slopes that ascend from the Ayalon Valley toward Jerusalem? What they now call occupied territories. How can you wish a Jew happy Hanukkah when the area is occupied, Bennett wondered. He said, The world thinks that the land of the patriarchs is for us a folklore symbol. It is not a symbol. The land is real. Anyone who lives thousands of miles from here does not understand that we live Jerusalem, Ma'alei Lavona, in Hebron. This is the reality. Bennett utilized Hanukkah to clarify the point. Let's go back to read Mattathias' famous call when he declared, Who is with me? Who is with God? Follow me. He did not say, Look, let's concede and come to an agreement with the Greeks. We'll jettison the covenant. He said, Whoever is for God to me, only an unambiguous declaration will gain the respect of the world. Whoever is willing to divide himself will only enjoy the world's love momentarily, added Bennett. Applause. A week of applause after we gave away and left Gush Katif, that is in the Gaza Strip. What did we get then? Leave aside the terror tunnels, the rockets, even the international scene. Does the world say, wow, you Israelis are so generous. You expelled the Jews. Applause. Now we're with you? Only if we provide our light. But concessions are not power, but a great weakness, said Bennett. As a result, Bennett announced his intention to submit a bill in the Knesset to apply Israeli law to parts of the West Bank at a Jewish home meeting in the city of Ma'alei Adumim in the West Bank. Bennett said, We are continuing today in the footsteps of Levi Eshkel, a former Prime Minister of Israel, who applied Israeli law to Jerusalem, of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, who founded Ma'alei Adumim, and of Menachem Begin, who applied Israeli sovereignty to the Golan. Today we continue in Ma'alei Adumim and then to other parts of the country, Bennett said. Bennett called for an end to military rule and the application of full sovereignty in its place. After 50 years, we are here and it's time to end the military rule. So by the end of January, I will submit a bill to apply Israeli law to Ma'alei Adumim, together with all coalition factions. I expect that all cabinet members will lend a hand towards this path. The nationalistic government has no other option. We have to overcome the obstacles to sovereignty. Israeli citizens have paid with thousands of casualties, tens of thousands of rockets, and countless condemnations for that failed messianic policy of a Palestinian state. The logical conclusion is to stop buying into the folly of a Palestinian state and start applying Israeli law in Ma'alei Adamim, the Jordan Valley, Ariel, and all of Area C as soon as possible. That is how we'll win, he declared. We need to understand that we have a small window of opportunity, this one final chance before the world imposes on us a Palestinian terrorist state. It is sovereignty in the West Bank or a Palestinian state. If there is no sovereignty, there will be a Palestinian state. There is no other option, Bennett stressed. Next, I'm going to share with you other comments by Israeli leaders regarding annexing parts of the West Bank, which whose cry is thematically linked with the Hanukkah rebellion of the Maccabees against the Greek ruler Antiochus IV. In response to the passage of the anti-Israel settlement resolution at the UN Security Council, several political leaders called for the Netanyahu government to annex parts of the West Bank. Israel Justice Minister Ayelet Shaked called on the government to react to the anti-Israel settlement resolution by saying, We need to change our way of thinking, to get real. When we keep a low profile, it doesn't help. We need to lift our heads. We need to do what is good for Israel. We need to talk about annexation. Israel Deputy Foreign Minister Zippy Hatovli from Likud said, The Obama administration will not be able to cover up its failure in Aleppo with its shameful decision regarding Israel. He who was unsuccessful in his fight against darker regimes is now attempting to harm his only democratic ally in the Middle East. History will remember that UN Security Council Resolution 2334 as the one which brought about Israel's sovereignty in the West Bank. No decision will cause Israel to stop building in its own land, Hatovli concluded. Culture and Sports Minister Miri Rigev said that Israel should respond by immediately 
immediately annexing all the West Bank. Internal Security Minister Gilad Erdogan from Likud said that Israel should annex the so-called settlement blocks in response to the UN Security Council approval of a resolution calling on Israel to halt construction in the West Bank and Eastern Jerusalem. In addition, he said that Israel must resume construction in all parts of the land, added Erdogan. The leader of the Jewish Home Political Party, Naftali Bennett, said, We're about to go from retreat to sovereignty. The anti-Israel settlement resolution is a direct result of Oslo's policy of surrender, retreat, and divisions. It's a result of public agreement to create a Palestinian state in our country's homeland. We have not gained honor and love by retreating, but shame and international pressure to surrender even more. This is the time to make a 180-degree turn. It's time to go from retreat to sovereignty, he emphasized. The conclusion needs to be that we will no longer agree to suicide through creating a Palestinian state, and we will work to apply Israeli law in Ma'alei Adamim in the West Bank, in the Jordan Valley, in Ofra, and in all of Area C of the West Bank as soon as possible. The Israeli government should annex the whole city of Ma'alei Adamim in the West Bank. The city is five miles from Jerusalem at the northern edge of the Judean desert and has 38,000 residents. Bennett said, We have already tried the way of the left. The time has come to try the path that we are suggesting. Sovereignty over a maximum of area with a minimum of Palestinians. We will soon submit a Ma'alei Adamim bill to the Knesset. He continued, In the near future, we should impose sovereignty on the whole of Area C, which is about 60% of the West Bank. He added, It's time for Israel to reevaluate its approach over the past 25 years. The approach where we adopted the Oslo Accords. The approach where we gave up territory in Gaza. The approach where we declared the need for a Palestinian state, Bennett said. We thought this approach would gain us sympathy from the world, but instead we got tens of thousands of missiles from Gaza, thousands of Israelis murdered on the streets, and one condemnation after another. It's time to decide between two alternatives, surrendering our land for a Palestinian state or Israeli sovereignty in those areas. We tried surrendering our land. It doesn't work. Now it's time for sovereignty in the West Bank. In response, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told his Likud lawmakers not to speak openly about annexing parts of the West Bank or building more settlements so long as Obama is still in office. He said, don't come out now with statements about annexing territory and building in the settlements because there may be another UN Security Council resolution before Obama leaves office on January the 20th, Netanyahu said. So in the spirit of the Hanukkah rebellion against the Greek ruler Antiochus IV, there is a defiant cry in the land of Israel to legalize outposts. A controversial initiative to authorize West Bank outposts, previously postponed until after President-elect Donald Trump enters the White House on January the 20th, is back on the table following the United States' failure to veto a UN Security Council resolution condemning Israeli settlements. Fearing repercussions from the U.S. administration, a final vote on the so-called regulation bill, which would legalize some 4,000 housing units in the West Bank built on privately owned Palestinian land, had been shelved until President Obama leaves office. Coalition Chairman David Biden confirmed recently. But with the U.S. abstention in the December 23rd U.N. Security Council vote, we are done playing nice, a coalition source said. It's back on the table, he said of the bill, signaling that it would be brought to a vote in the Knesset in the coming weeks. Another aspect of the spirit of the Hanukkah rebellion that historically took place against the Greek ruler Antiochus IV, which is being expressed in the land of Israel today, is to continue building Jewish homes 
Jews in East Jerusalem. In response to the anti-Israel settlement resolution at the UN Security Council, Israel's government said that it would move ahead with thousands of new homes in East Jerusalem. Jerusalem's municipal government signaled that it would not back down. The city intends to approve 600 housing units in the predominantly Palestinian eastern section of the town in what a top official called a first installment on 5,600 new homes. The planning committee will approve 2,600 new housing units in the neighborhood of Gilo, another 2,600 units in Gavat Hamatos, and 400 units in Ramat Shlomo. Together, 5,600 units in eastern Jerusalem. Acting and Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem and Chairman of the Local Planning and Building Committee, Mir Turgaman, said that he is not intimidated by the United Nations or by any other entity trying to dictate to us what we should do in Jerusalem. I hope the new U.S. administration of Donald Trump will give us a push to continue replenishing the housing stock, which was reduced during the eight years of the Obama administration. Historically, as Yeshua was being crucified, he was slapped in the face. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. This was prophetically fulfilled with the passing of the December 23rd United Nations Security Council resolution, which effectively slapped Israel in the face regarding building Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. This thought was voiced by Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, saying that Israel was slapped in the face and they're not going to turn the other cheek. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu moved from an offensive to a defensive posture after the passing of the anti-Israel settlement UN Security Council resolution, rebuffing criticism that his angry response was too aggressive and saying that Israel will not turn the other cheek. Israel is a country with natural pride and we do not turn the other cheek, he said. This is a rational, aggressive, and responsible response. The natural reaction of a healthy nation that is making clear to the nations of the world that what was done in the United Nations is unacceptable to Israel. Next, I'm going to share with you Israel's diplomatic response to the anti-Israel settlement vote at the UN Security Council on December the 23rd. In response to the anti-Israel settlement vote, Netanyahu announced that Israel was reevaluating all of its dealings with the United Nations and that he had already instructed officials to cut off 30 million shekels, that is $7.8 million, of funding for five UN bodies that are particularly hostile to Israel. Much more action will follow, he promised. Israel Defense Minister Evgenor Lieberman of the political party Israel Betanyu, which means Israel our home, forbade senior Israeli military officials from contacting Palestinian Authority representatives. The new order does not include Palestinian Authority security officials. Netanyahu summoned U.S. Ambassador to Israel Dan Shapiro for clarifications after the U.S. abstained in the United Nations Security Council vote on a resolution demanding a halt to all Israeli settlement activity, which enabled that resolution to pass. Netanyahu's meeting with the U.S. Ambassador lasted for 40 minutes. In addition, Netanyahu summoned the ambassadors of the states that supported an anti-settlement resolution at the UN Security Council for a diplomatic dressing down as Netanyahu continued to seethe over passage of the anti-Israel settlement vote at the UN Security Council. In total, 10 envoys were called in on Christmas morning for scoldings from directors of the foreign ministry's respective regional departments. Foreign Ministry spokesman Emmanuel Nashon said, In the case of Great Britain and Spain, the deputy ambassadors were summoned because their respective bosses are currently not in Israel. The ambassadors of China, Russia, France, Angola, Egypt, Japan, Ukraine, and Uruguay were expected to arrive on Jerusalem on Christmas Day. Senegal and New Zealand do not have embassies in Israel. Venezuela and Malaysia do not have diplomatic relations with Israel. Furthermore, Netanyahu recalled Israel 
Israel's ambassadors from New Zealand and Senegal, two of the four countries that sponsored the resolution that have diplomatic relations with Israel. Netanyahu canceled the upcoming visit to Israel of the Senegalese foreign minister and instructed the foreign ministry to cancel all aid programs to the African country. Netanyahu also announced that he had canceled his visit with Ukrainian Prime Minister Volodymyr Groisman, who was scheduled to arrive in Israel next week as a result of Ukraine's vote in favor of the UN resolution. After the United Nations Security Council resolution was passed on December 23rd, the United States announced that U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry would give a speech outlining what he believes should be the terms of a future peace agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry announced after the vote on December 23rd that he would give a speech laying out his vision for a Middle East peace agreement and how future administrations may be able to take the issue forward, featuring more detailed thoughts drawn from the experience of the last several years on the way forward. Frank Lowenstein, the State Department's special envoy for Israeli-Palestinian negotiations, said that Kerry's speech will lay out his vision for what a negotiated two-state solution might look like and how it might be achieved. Later then, Secretary of State John Kerry did give his speech on the future of the peace process. In recent months, there had been increasing speculation that either Kerry or Obama could deliver a speech laying out parameters for reaching a final status agreement between Israel and the Palestinians detailing how future administrations that are committed to the two-state solution may be able to take the issue forward. As a result, recently, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry gave a speech where he laid out his comprehensive vision for the future of Middle East peacemaking, saying that a two-state solution was the only way to ensure Israel's future as a Jewish and a democratic state. In the speech that lasted well over an hour, Kerry described settlements as a central obstacle to achieving an agreement between the sides and declared that Israeli actions in the West Bank were putting the two-state solution, which he said was the sole path to peace, in serious jeopardy. Kerry said settlements or settlers 62 times in his 72-minute speech and terror or terrorism 14 times. As Reflected by those numbers, the focus of his speech was on the Jewish settlements, which he said was a major obstacle to peace. Kerry argued that settlement construction in the West Bank was being strategically placed in locations that make two states impossible, and said that the status quo is leading toward one state or perpetual occupation. Settlement expansion, he declared, has nothing to do with Israel's security. Castigating the coalition of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he said, it was the most right-wing in Israel history with an agenda driven by the most extreme elements. The result is that policies of this government, which the Prime Minister himself just described as more committed to settlements than any in Israel's history, are leading toward a one state. In fact, he added, Israel has increasingly consolidated control over much of the West Bank for its own purposes. Warren Kerry, if the choice is one state, Israel can either be Jewish or democratic. It cannot be both, and it won't ever be at peace. The two-state solution is the only way to achieve a just and lasting peace between Israel and the Palestinians, Kerry said. It is the only way to ensure Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state, living in peace and security with its neighbors. It is the only way to ensure a future of freedom and dignity for the Palestinian people, and it is an important way of advancing the United States' interests in the region, he added, of the two-state solution, which he said was now in serious jeopardy. The truth is that trends on the ground, violence, terrorism, incitement, settlement expansion, and the seemingly endless occupation are combining to destroy hopes for peace on both sides, increasingly cementing an irreversible one-state reality that most 
most people do not actually want, he said. Speaking directly to Israeli criticism of the U.S. abstention, Kerry said, It is not this resolution that is isolating Israel. It is the pernicious policy of settlement construction that is making peace impossible. The Israeli Prime Minister publicly supports a two-state solution, but his current coalition is the most right-wing in Israel's history, with an agenda driven by the most extreme elements, Kerry said. Policies of this government, which the Prime Minister just described as more committed to settlements than any in Israel's history, are leading in the opposite direction. They're leading to one state. If there is only one state, he warned, you would have millions of Palestinians permanently living in segregated enclaves in the middle of the West Bank with no real political rights, separate legal education and transportation systems, vast income disparities under a permanent military occupation that deprives them of the most basic freedoms. Separate and unequal is what you would have, and nobody can explain how this works. In his speech, Kerry proposed six principles by which he believes that a negotiated two-state solution should be based upon. It is as follows. Number one, peace must provide for secure and recognized borders based on the 1967 lines with mutually agreed land swaps in a contiguous state for the Palestinians. This, in effect, calls for a Palestinian state with a land connection between the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Number two, Kerry said any agreement must fulfill UN General Assembly Resolution 181, which was the vote of the United Nations General Assembly on November the 29th, 1947, which called for the dividing of the land of Israel and making Jerusalem an international city. It called for two states for two peoples, a Jewish state and an Arab state, with mutual recognition and full and equal rights for all their citizens. Point number two of Kerry's proposal are the words that fulfills Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, which says, and he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. The word confirm in Hebrew is gabor, which means to strengthen something that already exists. Kerry is calling for a final status negotiated solution that would strengthen the UN General Assembly vote of November 29th, 1947, called UN General Assembly Resolution 181, which called for Jerusalem being an international city. The UN resolution of December 23rd called for a final status agreement to be concluded in one year. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 says that he will make strong a covenant for one week. One week can be interpreted in Hebrew as one year. And this resolution is coming about 69 Shavuot or 69 Feast of Pentecost after the UN General Assembly vote of of November 29th, 1947, but before Shavuot or Pentecost number 70. That between Shavuot 69, which is in 2016, and Shavuot 70, which is in 2017, there was the passage of this UN Security Council resolution on December the 23rd, whose implementation would effectively bring about the crucifixion or the end of the state of Israel. Thus fulfilling or fulfilling the terms of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Number three, a just, fair, and agreed solution of the Palestinian refugee problem with compensation, recognition of their suffering, and the need for permanent homes that did not affect the fundamental character of Israel. Number four, Jerusalem is the capital of two states with full protection for and accessibility to the shrines holy to the three monotheistic faiths. So, points number one, points number four, calls for a Palestinian state on 67 borders with East Jerusalem as its capital. Points one and four calls for the dividing of the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, which is a sign of the coming of the day of the Lord. Number five, satisfying Israel's security needs is critical. Its occupation must end with the rise of a sovereign, non-militarized Palestinian state. Number six, a final end to the conflict 
and all outstanding claims along with the establishment of normalized relations between Israel, the Palestinians, and the Arab world. If implemented, Kerry predicted that solving the Palestinian issue would lead to groundbreaking security partnerships between Israel and the Arab states of the region. Next, I'm going to share with you Israel's reaction to John Kerry's speech. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu responded almost immediately to the speech and continued to voice his indignation toward the United States, arguing Kerry's words were just as problematic as the actions his government took last week. Like the Security Council resolution that Secretary Kerry advanced in the United Nations, his speech tonight was skewed against Israel, Netanyahu said. For over an hour, Kerry obsessively dealt with settlements and barely touched upon the root of the conflict, that is, Palestinian opposition to a Jewish state in any boundaries. Branding Kerry's speech a big disappointment, Netanyahu criticized the Secretary for attacking the only democracy in the Middle East, while numerous other conflicts raged across the region. Is that all he's got? He ridiculed the Secretary a full hour and that's all he has? Netanyahu said, maybe he doesn't realize it, but Israel is the only place in the Middle East where Christians can celebrate Christmas. All of this doesn't interest the U.S. Secretary of State, unfortunately, Netanyahu fumed. Netanyahu said Kerry drew a false moral equivalence between construction in Jerusalem and Palestinian terrorism and accused him of only paying lip service in his condemnation of terrorism. He noted that the controversial UN resolution while condemning incitement did not even attribute that incitement to the Palestinians. Reference to suicide bombers and millions of Israelis forced into bomb shelters by rocket attacks should not be a throwaway line in an address like this, he said. Israelis do not need to be lectured about the importance of peace by world leaders, Netanyahu said. No one wants peace more than the people of Israel. After Kerry's speech, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu posted a picture of U.S. President Barack Obama at the Western Wall in Jerusalem with the caption saying, In 2008, presidential candidate Barack Obama was at the Western Wall. In 2016, the United Nations calls the Western Wall occupied Palestinian territory. Seriously? Israel Ambassador to the United Nations Danny Danone responded to U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry's speech by saying that Israel rejected Kerry's claims that the administration of outgoing U.S. President Barack Obama had Israel's back with regard to Israel's standing in the world and the United Nations. Danone said, Coordinating anti-Israel moves with the Palestinians and making a unilateral decision in the Security Council is not supporting Israel. It's the exact opposite. The Obama administration has acted against the state of Israel at the UN and any statement saying otherwise is a distortion of reality. He added that speeches, statements, or unilateral decisions will not promote peace in our area. Only the objection to terrorism, the ending of incitement, and the return to direct negotiations. The Palestinians must realize this. Former Ambassador to Israel, Deputy Minister Michael Oren said, Kerry's speech was very disturbing for so many reasons. It is disturbing that this is the point to which U.S. foreign policy has fallen. It's sad, tragic, and dangerous. We don't need this relationship. We don't need this America. He elaborated, the U.S.-Israeli relationship is vital for us, for the region, and I believe for the world. But we need an America whose strength and commitment to its allies is unquestioned. Any speech, Kerry drew a distinction between American and Israeli values and cast doubt to Israel's commitment to democracy. In his lengthy address, Kerry insisted that the Obama administration cannot be true to our own values or even the stated democratic values of Israel, and we cannot properly defend and protect Israel if we allow a viable two-state solution to be destroyed before our own eyes. In response, Oren said, Kerry did not raise the question of why those values doesn't lead the U.S. to do something to save hundreds of thousands of lives in our region. Oren added, when Kerry talked about Palestinian terror in 
incitement, he spoke with more or less a regulated voice. But when he addressed the settlements, oh my goodness, he was impassioned, furious. Oren said he was also deeply troubled by the systematic distortion of the historical record in Kerry's presentation. In the Secretary's records, there is no second intifada. There was the Oslo Peace Agreement, but he never stopped to think why Oslo wasn't implemented. Kerry also failed to acknowledge Israel's 2005 withdrawal from the Gaza Strip and wide-reaching peace offers extended by Israeli leaders in 2000 and 2006, Oren said. Furthermore, the Secretary did not sufficiently address the Palestinian strategy to shun bilateral talks and to internationalize the conflict instead. Oren, who served as Israel's ambassador to the United States from 2009 to 2013, said that the Obama administration often promised him one thing and then did something else. It was one broken promise after the other, he said. Obama is guided by an ideological rooted disdain for Israeli settlements, including the settlement blocks and Jerusalem neighborhoods outside the 1967 lines, Oren indicated. No Israeli leader, even a sworn leftist willing to dismantle most settlements, would have been able to change the president's hostile policies toward Israel, he postulated. It is the most deeply held conviction I have that with any other Israeli leader from whatever party, the result would have been the same, Oren said. There's nothing we could have done to change that outcome. Obama was determined to combat Israel's settlement movement from the moment he stepped into the White House in early 2009, Oren continued. As ambassador to the United States, Oren advised the Israeli government to roll with the punches and silently accept the U.S. criticism about settlement expansions. But ultimately, that school of thought failed to produce results because the president was unwilling to change his mind on any issue regarding Israel. Since quiet diplomacy failed to achieve anything, Netanyahu is right to publicly confront the president over policies he deems detrimental to Israel's security, Oren argued. We were on a collision course to the anti-Israel settlement, UN Security Council resolution on December the 23rd, starting in 2009, Oren said. It is any president's prerogative to have a worldview different from that of the Israeli government, Oren said, but Obama's strategic decision to put daylight between the United States and Israel made it impossible to have an intimate relationship which led to an inevitable series of, of crises. It was impossible to frankly and productively discuss the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because Obama was utterly unwilling to consider points of view other than his own, Oren charged. Education Minister Naftali Bennett, head of the Jewish Home Party, said he had no intention of allowing Palestinians to set up a terror state alongside Israel. He said, Kerry quoted me three times anonymously in his speech to show that we are opposed to a Palestinian state, Bennett wrote on his Twitter account. So let me state it explicitly, Bennett said. Yes, if it depends on me, we will not establish another terror state in the heart of our country. The citizens of Israel has paid with thousands of victims, tens of thousands of rockets, and innumerable condemnations for the utopian idea of a Palestinian state. It's time for a new policy and we will lead the way, Bennett concluded. Israel's Deputy Foreign Minister Zippy Hatovli said Kerry's proposed solution was unrealistic. For 25 years, we tried similar methods, and instead of peace, we got islands of terror, she said. Tourist minister Yariv Levin stated that the speech included a lot of words and very little understanding of reality. He added, Kerry is trying to force on us in his last days on the job a worldview that is a prize for Palestinian terror and that completely ignores our rights to the country. A number of prominent American Jewish groups harshly criticized U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry for his speech. The Anti-Defamation League said that it was deeply disappointed with certain parts of the speech 
adding that certain concerns about policies and dynamics expressed in Kerry's address were disconnected from the reality that there were two parties to the conflict, Israelis and Palestinians. The speech and the resolution, said the Anti-Defamation League, will strengthen the belief among Israelis, even those most supportive of negotiations, that the Palestinian leadership would prefer symbolic protests and unilateral measures rather than the hard work and difficult choices associated with direct negotiations with Israel. Furthermore, they reinforced the unhelpful perception that the international community is dictating terms to Israel with the demands of the Palestinians. The American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, took the criticism of Kerry and of the U.S. abstention at the Security Council a step further, calling the move a betrayal and an abandonment of an important ally. APAC said the resolution was unfair, unbalanced, and represented a profound departure from the policies of previous Democratic and Republican administrations for nearly the past 40 years, while blasting Kerry for placing overwhelming, disproportionate blame for the failure to advance peace on Israel. The lobby added that any potential positive contribution from the speech was foreclosed by the Obama administration's shameful refusal to veto the destructive anti-Israel United Nations Security Council resolution. APAC said, by abstaining and thereby allowing the resolution to pass, the outgoing administration not only betrayed a democratic ally and abandoned a 40-year understanding, but it also made the goal of peace more elusive by undermining direct talks, reinterpreting UN Security Council Resolution 242, and providing the, the recalcitrant Palestinian leadership with further incentive not to compromise or negotiate. The intransigence of the Palestinian leadership is now being rewarded by the administration and others through destructive resolutions and counterproductive attempts to internationalize the conflict. B'nai Barith International said Kerry's speech was unlikely to be helpful considering that it immediately followed the U.S. abstention and urged no further action on the U.S.'s part. The Simon Wiesenthal Center slammed what it termed a draconian foreign policy shift on the part of the Obama administration and said it was confident that Trump's team will restore in tone and deeds the relationship behooving two great friends who share a common heritage and democratic values. Next, I'm going to share with you responses to Kerry's speech from U.S. political leaders. First, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida. Meanwhile, U.S. Senator from Florida Marco Rubio accused Secretary of State John Kerry of undermining America's moral standing in the world following Kerry's speech in which he blasted Israel's construction in Jewish neighborhoods in the West Bank and Eastern Jerusalem. Rubio released a statement saying, Secretary Kerry today once again decided to cater to the demands of freedom's enemies and devote an entire speech to disparaging a country that is one of our closest allies. This administration's shameful undermining of our moral standing in the world should be a warning to administrations for decades to come about the consequences of America abandoning our values. When we fail to take a stand against those that seek to deny Israel's right to exist or try to question the Jewish history of Jerusalem, we hurt not just Israel, but our own credibility. The statement continued, The greatest immediate threat to the future of Israel is not a stalled peace process or settlements, but the abandonment of the Jewish state by the current U.S. administration at a time when it needs America's support more than ever. This shameful episode in American foreign policy cannot end soon enough, Rubio concluded. Part of the response to Kerry's speech by U.S. Republican political leaders was a call to move the U.S. Embassy, which 
which is currently in Tel Aviv, to Jerusalem. Three U.S. senators have introduced legislation that would commit the United States to moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, a move U.S. presidents have opposed for decades, but which President-elect Donald Trump has repeatedly signaled he is willing to do. On January the 3rd, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, Republican, and Nevada Senator Dean Heller, a Republican, proposed the Jerusalem Embassy and Recognition Act, which calls for the moving of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The measure is similar to a 1995 congressional resolution led by former House Speaker and current Trump confidant Newt Gingrich that called to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It was immediately dismissed by then-President Bill Clinton, who wanted the future status of Jerusalem settled in final status negotiations between Israelis and Palestinians. Clinton and his two successors, Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama, have repeatedly used the prerogative granted to them in the 1995 resolution that under what a U.S. president would regard as the United States national security interests could delay moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem for a period of six months, every six months. But with incoming President-elect Donald Trump, who has indicated that he will break with these practices, those pushing for the relocation believe that the White House may no longer be the obstacle in moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Supporters of relocation were also given a boost last month when Trump selected his longtime friend and attorney David Friedman to be his administration's ambassador to Israel. In a statement announcing the selection, Friedman, a vocal supporter and even donor to Israeli settlements in the West Bank, said that he expected to carry out his duties in Israel's eternal capital of Jerusalem. It was a further indication of the president-elect's apparent resolve to follow through on a campaign pledge he repeatedly made to Jewish audiences. According to reports, Trump's advisors are already in the process of planning the relocation. Campaign manager and soon-to-be White House counselor Kellyanne Conway said that it was a very big priority for him. In supporting the proposed legislation, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican from Texas, said in a statement, It is finally time to cut through the doublespeak and broken promises of U.S. presidents and do what Congress said that we should do in 1995, and that is formally move our embassy to the capital of our great ally, Israel. France said it expressed support for Kerry's speech. French Foreign Minister Jean-Marc Alrault called Kerry's speech clear, courageous, and committed, adding that France shares Kerry's belief in a two-state solution that envisions Israel and the new nation of Palestine living side-by-side side in peace and security. He further said that Kerry's speech reinforced the necessity and the urgency to implement this two-state solution. France is scheduled to hold a conference on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict on January the 15th. Since a preliminary peace summit in June in Paris officially kicked off the 2016 French Peace Initiative, three groups have been tasked with examining avenues to propel the peace process forward, according to a French newspaper. One group has looked at building the institutions needed for the establishment of a Palestinian state. Another has studied the economic incentives peace would bring for those involved, in particular for the European Union, while a third group worked on enhancing the participation of civil society in the process. The proposals of the three groups will be examined during the summit, the report said. Prophetically, this French International Peace Conference on January the 15th is the international community's trial of Israel. In John chapter 19 verse 13 it is written, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Yeshua forth and sat down in the judgment seat. In other words, Pilate was presiding over Yeshua's trial and he was going to render a verdict. Israel Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman said that the Middle East Peace Conference planned by the French for 
January the 15th will be a tribunal, that is a trial, against the state of Israel, similar to the anti-Semitic trial of French Jewish artillery officer Alfred Dreyfus in 1894. Lieberman said UN Security Council Resolution 2334 was awful, unnecessary, and harms any chance to reach dialogue with the Palestinians, that he was worried that such misguided international efforts would continue with the French conference. Lieberman added, This is a conviction whose sole aim is to harm the security of the state of Israel and its good name. We are talking about the modern version of the Dreyfus trial, except that this time, instead of one Jew in the defendant's chair, the whole nation of Israel is there. Look at how all of France has been voting against us. We know the direction and the goal of this conference, Lieberman said. In 1894, French officers learned that a high-ranking staff member had been slipping secrets to the German military, and they pointed the finger at Alfred Dreyfus, a Jewish-French artillery officer who was convicted, stripped of his uniform, and sent to Devil's Island, an isolated penal colony off the coast of French Guiana. Theodore Herzl is said to have been spurred into writing his great treatise on Zionism, the book called The Jewish State, after covering Dreyfus's trial as a newspaper correspondent and hearing the crowd scream out, Death to the Jews. Israel has refused to attend the January 15th gathering, with officials insisting that only bilateral negotiations will lead to a peace arrangement. Palestinians support the French conference. The Palestinians hope that the French conference will define parameters for a future Palestinian state. Foreign ministers and officials from some 70 countries and representatives of multiple international organizations are expected to attend an international conference hosted by France on January the 15th to attempt to reinvigorate the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. Majdi al-Khalidi, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas's advisor for diplomatic affairs, said the Paris conference could be the last opportunity to save the two-state solution. The Palestinian leadership has lobbied vigorously for the conference for more than 18 months. Regarding the expected results of the conference, Khalidi said that the Palestinian leadership hopes the participating countries will create an international mechanism to resolve the conflict. Khalidi said, We want the conference to create an international mechanism for the peace process, which includes a timetable for implementing an agreement with Israel. In addition, Khalidi said that the Palestinian leadership wants the conference to reaffirm everything in the recent UN Security Council resolution. UN Security Council Resolution 2334, which was passed on December the 23rd, states that settlements have no legal validity, condemns terrorism and incitement, and calls for the establishment of two independent states. Khalidi, however, said that if Israel rejects the results of the conference, the Palestinian leadership will not give up on its goals. He said, we will continue our efforts to convince the world and the Israeli government to allow for the establishment of a Palestinian state along 1967 borders with East Jerusalem as its capital, Khalidi stated. Next, there are reports that the United States is making plans to outline principles for a Palestinian state, wherein those principles would then be a part of a UN Security Council resolution to be presented to the UN Security Council before Obama leaves office on January the 20th. Multiple media outlets are reporting that U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry is finalizing a document that the Obama administration hopes will form the basis for a UN Security Council resolution that would ultimately recognize a Palestinian state based on 67 borders with East Jerusalem as its capital. According to the Palestinian Al-Quds newspaper, United States Secretary of State John Kerry is preparing a document to be presented in January before President Barack Obama leaves office. This document would form the basis for final negotiations between the Israelis and Palestinians. The principles of the document would set out requirements for Palestinian recognition of Israel as a Jewish state and Israel's required recognition of a Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as its capital. This revelation comes following the UN Security Council's adoption of Resolution 2334, which declares Jews living in the West Bank and East Jerusalem as living in 
occupied Palestinian territories. If this document ends up becoming a UN Security Council resolution that officially calls for a Palestinian state prior to January the 20th, there will be no question that it will represent the fulfillment of the prophecy to divide the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Joel chapter 3 verse 2, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu fears that the U.S. will support another UN Security Council resolution defining the parameters for a two-state solution after the January 15th French Peace Conference. After Kerry's speech, Netanyahu fears that the U.S. will seek another vote at the U.N. to seal some of Kerry's suggested parameters for a peace agreement. He said, I wish I could be comforted by Kerry's promise not to seek further U.N. action, but the U.S. said the same thing before the resolution passed, the Prime Minister noted. Netanyahu speculated that other countries could advance another U.N. resolution while the U.S. directed from behind the scenes. France might submit the resolution, he suggested, or perhaps Sweden, which he described as no friend of Israel. Netanyahu said, this issue is still hot and we haven't heard the end of it yet. Netanyahu expects Kerry to attend the French Peace Conference and that the Middle East Quartet, that is the United States, the United Nations, Russia, and the European Union, will coordinate their positions at the summit. And that They will then turn to the Security Council in the very last days of the Obama presidency to support a resolution outlining parameters for a Palestinian state. An Israeli government official said that they are working under the assumption that there will be another anti-Israel resolution at the UN Security Council before Obama's term ends on January the 20th. Based on his concern, Netanyahu is attempting to recruit the incoming Trump administration and the U.S. Congress to block a feared bid by the outgoing Obama administration to have the Security Council approve principles for a Palestinian state. His aim is for the Trump team to make plain that his administration will economically hurt those countries that voted against Israel and the U.N. and that continue to do so in the future. In a meeting of Israel's ambassadors and chiefs of missions in Europe that was held in Jerusalem, Netanyahu said that there are currently efforts underway to bring another resolution on the Israeli-Palestinian issue to the UN Security Council after the Paris conference on January the 15th, but before U.S. President Barack Obama leaves office on January the 20th. There is a scheduled meeting of the UN Security Council on January the 17th. Netanyahu called the planned peace summit in Paris on January the 15th empty, but there are signs that they will try to turn the decision made there into another resolution at the Security Council, and that is already something that is not empty. And these signs that this could happen, he said, are not a few. As a result, the major effort we are engaged in now is to prevent another UN resolution and also to prevent a quartet decision. We are investing a great deal of diplomatic efforts in this, and this also has to be your main efforts in the coming days, he said. This will not take much time, but it will occupy us in the next two weeks, and we need to succeed. Next, I'm going to share with you a reaction to the planned Paris Middle East Summit on January the 15th by the Jewish organization B'nai Barith. The organization is protesting plans for the upcoming Middle East Peace Conference on January the 15th, saying that the conference figures to be a one-sided farce and an impediment to peace. B'nai Barith International President Gary Saltzman said, this conference will provide the international community an opportunity to gratuitously gang up on Israel. The past two weeks have already seen Secretary of State John Kerry deliver a speech unfairly blaming Israel for the current impasse and the United Nations Security Council pass a resolution broadly condemning the Jewish state. The Paris summit should not take place as it will only further embolden the Palestinians and give them no reason to negotiate a two-state solution. B'nai Barith insists that their organization has long maintained that peace can only be achieved by direct bilateral negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians. Gatherings like the Paris conference effectively negates Israel's role in discussions about its own security. This feeds the Palestinian strategy of hindering 
the peace process by hiding behind the international community and using the United Nations system to advance the Palestinian goal of demonizing and isolating Israel. B'nai B'rith International CEO Daniel Marishan added, The Paris summit may set the stage for yet another one-sided UN Security Council resolution which would continue to cloud the prospect of a negotiated peace. By prejudging the outcome of future negotiations, repeatedly castigating Israel, and pressuring the Jewish state to make unilateral concessions, the international community continues to encourage the Palestinians to never enter into serious direct negotiations with Israel. As a result of all these things, the betrayal of Israel, the upcoming French International Peace Conference, which will be anti-Israel in nature, Israel's Sephardic chief rabbi Yitzhak Yosef said that since the United States has forsaken Israel, we can only trust in the Lord. Israel's Sephardic chief rabbi Yitzhak Yosef said, the U.S. has forsaken Israel and the Jewish state can now place its trust only in God. Sometimes we need to be reminded from above that we can count on no one but our Father who is in heaven. He added, we mustn't forget that the hearts of kings and captains are in the hands of the Lord and we can count on no one but the Lord. Finally, Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danone, said, until January the 20th, this is a sensitive diplomatic time for Israel at the UN Security Council. Recently, Israel Ambassador to the United Nations Danny Danone spoke at the annual Zionist Organization of America conference, warning foreign diplomats looking to force through one-sided resolutions at the United Nations between now and January the 20th when Obama leaves office, said, Just recently, said Danone, senior diplomats from various countries told me that they plan on taking advantage of the transition period to advance a one-sided resolution against Israel. There are three international initiatives before us. The first is the French conference to take place on January the 15th. There is New Zealand's initiative calling for negotiations in condemning construction in Judea and Samaria, whose thoughts may be put in a UN Security Council resolution following the January 15th French conference. And there is the UN Security Council resolution just passed, which condemned the existence of Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. All of this is taking place at the end of Obama's term in office to take advantage of the transition period between U.S. presidents. As a result, we are in a very sensitive period, Danone said. So, will Obama take advantage of the transition to the Trump presidency that began after Election Day and ends on January the 20th to push through a U.N. Security Council resolution outlining the parameters of a Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as its capital, calling for final status negotiations to be concluded in a specified time frame, given that the United States has already supported a United Nations Security Council resolution condemning the existence of Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem? The answer is only time will tell. Well, that's going to conclude this week's report where I explained to you the details behind U.S. President Barack Obama fulfilling the prophetic kiss of Esau, which is an act of betrayal through his support of U.N. Security Council Resolution 2334, which condemned the existence of Jewish homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, calling them illegally occupied Palestinian lands, effectively calling for the dividing of the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, and making such status international law, wherein the passage of this UN Security Council Resolution 2334 also declares that Jews living in the areas which include the Mount of Olives, the Western Wall, the Temple Mount, and the Old City of Jerusalem, that these areas are even now regarded as being illegally occupied Palestinian lands in a violation of international law. As I explained and documented in detail in this report, this will lead to the Great Tribulation, the judgment of the nations, the end of the exile, of 
the twelve tribes of Israel, their reunification of the northern kingdom of Joseph with the southern kingdom of Judah upon the mountains of Israel, and the coming of King Messiah, even Yeshua HaMashiach, setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives, and then setting up his kingdom, where he will teach the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem during the Messianic era. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Until we do it again, Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.